This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. You're listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. Exile, go listen to some boring podcast where they're, where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Crange. <laughs> who delivers this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. Like in, the, in the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? Stop yelling at me. I agree. Welcome once again to the Voices Wrestling Flagship Podcast. I am Rich Crate alongside, as always, man who is disingenuous at times, Mr. Joe Lanza. Joe, what's happening? Oh, that's the one you're going with this week? I like that one. Yeah, I've always liked that one. All right. It's not false <laughs> at times. You know, you're disingenuous, but for the most part. No, you know, I, I usually like the king of banter, but I thought the disingenuous one would be good this week, you know? What do you mean it's not false? What, what are you talking about? <laughs> At times, <laughs> disingenuous. At times, just a few times, not often, but just a few times. You agree with that terrible assessment no, I that I've that I've chosen to lean into instead of uh, you know <laughs> getting upset about. Um, I think there's only one place to lead off this week. I heard a rumor that you watched 205 Live this week. I did watch the 205 Live. The uh, does it have a cool? Sw- what are the kids calling 205 Live these days? It's got a swanky name to it, or is it? Yes, just... they're calling it Two Hundred Five Live. No, I wasn't sure if there was like some cool, like the purple brand, or you know, like because there's always you know sometimes they, they got cool stuff, but yeah, it's just nobody watches Two Hundred Five Live to give it a nickname, correct? No, I mean you know like main event is the A show, and um, what's NXT? That doesn't I guess the work. black and gold brand. You know, Mara will throw that in every so often. Nigel says it a few times here and there. I don't know if the kids call it the black and gold, but you know. They do, at least. The raw ratings were good again this week. Fantastic, yeah. Up from last week. So uh, <laughs> things are looking yeah. good. Up from I mean, down, down from literally any other time in history, but up from last week. So that's fine. Yeah. Fourth, fourth, fourth lowest rated raw of all time. 23% down from last year's show year over year. Which is actually good, if you think about it. Third hour was barely over 2 million viewers. 2.08 million viewers. An absolute bloodbath, and there are people defending it by saying it was up versus last week, which is not false. It's not wrong. It was going to be up versus last week by accident, by virtue of no basketball or hockey, and this happens every year. And it was barely up over last week, which is which is the scary part. I mean, I thought I even fired out a tweet last week saying. How much do you think Raw will bounce back this week? Because I really genuinely thought it would bounce back a bit. I did with the basketball over and the yeah. Well, I mean, over. it stands to reason that yeah, and all your big sports are done, and and you know, yes, it's it's summer, but like those the, the direct competition you have between them, and we saw that too. I think there's always this this thing where you know people that look at the Raw ratings and and either cite basketball and hockey games and other sports or don't cite them or whatever. But you can even see through, if you track the ratings as they're kind of progressing, is the second game start, like a, a second NBA Finals game start, people just fall off. They stop watching Raw. So we know for a fact that it's people that that watch Raw until something else comes on and then they go and watch something else. <laughs> well, in this case, they just didn't even come back. They just said, yeah, you know what? I'm good this week. I'm going to go outside. I'm going to barbecue. 
I'm going to walk the dog. I'm going to do anything else but watch Raw. But those people did not come back in, in, in big numbers. Yeah, it, they didn't. It, it's up so slightly over last week that it's like statistically insignificant. It's like people did not come back. So I, in the first 10 minutes of the show, will take my public L because people on Twitter were replying to my tweet saying it's not going to bounce back. I don't think it's going to go up. And I mocked all of those people. So it's got to go up. The basketball and the hockey's over. It always goes up. Rich, it didn't go up. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is people are defending this as oh it's up versus uh, this we're uh, showing some signs. This might be the scariest week yet. I think so too. Yeah, I, like the the bloodbaths against like really good NBA finals games are fun to kind of laugh at and and kind of go, "Oh my god, they got destroyed." But I get it. Like you're talking about like, you know, game 6, game 7s and like these big time things, big time hockey games, big time basketball games, even Monday night footballs. I like I kind of point and go, "Oh my god, geez, they got killed by Monday night football because more people would rather watch, you know, that than this." But like those are all kind of with the understanding that yeah, I mean, those are are, are juggernauts that they're up against they're they're gone <laughs> there's nothing right now i mean there's nothing until football kicks up in 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 you know what obviously what september i think uh, was the first Monday night football game if i'm yeah, correctly it might even be late august uh at this point but like that's bad like that that's these this is the window where they usually like things kind of look a little up or a little bit more positive and for them to not jump on you know jump back at all or or, or very little is ugh, there's no there, there's no spin to this number there's no positive spin whatsoever it's awful um, and I and I'm genuinely surprised. I, I really thought it would bounce. It would bounce back. I thought people would return, but like you said, uh, they have not. But as far as the purple brand, you actually watched it this week. I thought I, I went on the TV reviews and just raved about it. I thought it was an awesome show with the two matches. What did you make quickly? Because we'll get to the G1 here. That's what people want to hear about. Are you what sure they don't want to hear about 205 last week's 205 Live? Well, I might, think that's hey, what they may see. have came from. They may have came for last week's 205 Live review. It was an awesome show, and you never watch. So there's an opportunity. They, they list the, the subscribers, www.patreon.com slash voice of wrestling, three price tiers to fit every budget. On the $5 tier, you get the uh, Thursday TV reviews where I talk about 205 Live every week. The subscribers hear me talk about 205 Live every week. They never get a chance to hear you talk about 205 Live. This was a great show. What did you make of the finish of Chad Gable, Jack Gallagher? So obviously, I know the, the the very famous finish. If people haven't seen it yet, is um, they're on the outside. I think uh, Gable does what it was a tiger suplex or some sort of underhook. I think it was a double underhook German, or I forget exactly what it was. Uh, it, so he puts it on Gallagher, and and they do the tease, the similar kind of New Japan style. If you've watched any major New Japan show in the last three years or whatever, you've seen this, where you know both guys are are, are groggy. It's eight. You know, one guy rolls in. Obviously, in Japan, it's eighteen or whatever. It's nineteen or whatever. Um, so Gable's in, he's right. He's, you know, he's waiting for Gallagher and then Gallagher at nine pops up and he does some, I don't even know what he was trying to do, but essentially doesn't get his body all the way up into the ring. And, and Mike Kyoto, who I, I, when I heard that there was like this ref that fucked up or what I assumed it was like some, you know, entry level referee or some new guy or whatever. It's fucking Mike Kyoto. He's been there for what? 40 years at this point, for God's sake. Uh, so he counts him out and you can see first off the disappointment in Gable's face. who was just like, Oh my God, are you fucking kidding? Cause this is like his big debut, his big moment. And you know, these guys were having a hell of a match at this point to an awesome, awesome match. And you know, they probably had an awesome finishing sequence ready to go. Well, that's out of the window. Gallagher's like, what the fuck, dude? I rolled in. Like, why, why did you count me out? Like I'm, and, and to be fair, most of his body is in the ring and I, I get it. And, 
it's this weird sort of thing that's, and I know you talked about it in the TV reviews, where WWE teaches the referees to shoot, you know, count it like a shoot. If their shoulders are down, count the three. If they're out of the ring, count the ten or whatever. But it's one of these situations where, like, ah, you know, give this guy a little bit of a leeway. Like, it's it's not like he was completely down on the ground or whatever. He, like, had slid in almost all the way, but a part of his leg was still on the outside when they count the ten or whatever. So, yeah, I thought, like, it really, I mean, it, it's, it just sucked the life out of what was a really awesome match. But in a way, it like, I didn't hate it as much as I thought I would, and it really didn't destroy my expectations of the match all that much because when it was over, I still said, hey, those guys had a hell of a match. That's a hell of a debut for Gable, and Gallagher impressed the hell out of me. Uh, it was just a real kind of wonky way to finish it. And then it was made worse by the fact that the main event was going to be like a dusty finish angle with the referees at the end. So I'm like, damn, like, right. like people, if you don't know that that was like a genuine fuck up, like most people, you, you know, you and yeah. I know, and most people listen to this know that the Gallagher Gable thing was a fuck up. That was not supposed to happen. If you didn't know that you're like, dude, they're really heavy on like the referee angles on this episode of 205 yeah. Live, which had to just also drive everybody nuts too. Cause it's like, fuck, like the one week we're going to do a heavy referee angle <laughs> the main event is the week that the referee fucks up and 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 just kind of destroys this entire thing. Or I guess I guess Gallagher fucked up if you want to say. I, I to me it's the referee. I would just let them slide a little bit. That's kind of my thought on the case. But I get why WWE tells them to work it like a shoot or whatever. But um, you know I thought it was kind of interesting, and you pointed this out too that Gable uh, when it was over ran over to, to to the corner was like give me the mic i want to talk i like i want to say something i want to say something like you was like no 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 no, we got to go and then gable just had to like sit in the ring and like kiss the towards the crowd for like a minute as they sign off or whatever which kind of stunk too because I'm, I'm curious what he was going to say he was going to try to save it and yeah. do something organic but you know you're not allowed to do that next no moment. god no, no no you no. can't do anything organic that nothing that might get somebody over can't do we can't have that but you know, they, I, I don't mind that they tell the refs to call it like a shoot because they don't want the refs to look like idiots. I understand that. The problem I had with this, though, is Gallagher's body was essentially in the ring. Right. He could have let this one go and he wouldn't have looked like a fool. The right. That's what I mean. If, if, if Gallagher's on the outside and he's on the ground and you're counting nine, uh, right. uh, nine, like, yeah, that looks stupid. But, like, all that was, like, his ankle was still, like, near the apron like you can let that go <laughs> like you can it was say, close, close enough, enough. To, yeah it was close enough to where the ref could have just stopped the count nobody would have even thought about that spot again so i think he was a little too who it was kyota is, is that the ref he was, uh, it was yeah my kyota yeah he was a little too hardcore there in that instance but the four-way without the finish where tozawa gulak i guess they're gonna have a singles match this week i would assume that's my WWE main roster match of the year. Fucking rocked. Yeah, that was a great match. That's a big reason why I watched this entire episode. I wanted to see the Gable uh, uh, Gallagher finish. But yeah, the four-way, man. Yeah, if you have not seen that yet from the uh, last week's 205 Live, go out of your way and watch that four-way. That is, I, it's hard to say if it'd be my WWE match of the year. Are we counting NXT or you're, you're saying main roster? Main 205 roster Live is quote-unquote main roster. Okay. Ooh, yeah. I mean, having watched all the pay-per-views, you might shockingly be right. Well, what are your other serious contenders? Daniel Bryan versus Kofi Kingston. Yeah, I thought that match kind of, yeah, you know. I wasn't super high on that. I, I, I thought it was a, a really good match, but I didn't, I, you know. I would I, take this I, one over that. If we're doing like, what, what would you choose this or over that? I would definitely choose this four-way. Okay, how about how about the Andrade Rey Mysterio matches? Uh, ooh, those are tough. I'd almost have to go back and rewatch some of those. Like there was that one on what was it SmackDown? I want to say that they had that I really, really, really liked. They're so, both on SmackDown, yeah. But yeah. Um, how about I give you? I'll throw a couple more at you. Brock Lesnar, Finn Balor from Royal Rumble. Remember that um, short one with the where it was all about uh, Brock's uh, mid where Balor went after the midsection. Right. Oh yeah, that match. was good. I like that, but I probably like this four way a little bit better. That that's like a I, I like the match structure of that one. I probably had fun watching that match more than I did, but like. 
I, I still think this one in terms of like what I would call a match of the year. Uh, I'm going to go with the 205 Live. Okay, how about how about Elimination Chamber? Where Kofi no. got it. <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, let me think as I go through it's the a bad year. year. It's a bad in order. Year. It's not a great year for the main roster. It wasn't last year either. Uh, WrestleMania really only had Kofi Daniel Bryan, unless you were a big fan. Were you a big fan of Brock Rollins that oh, night? Oh, nah, nah, not really. Um, there was a Buddy Murphy Akira Tozawa cruiserweight match that was. Uh, but if you don't, if you don't even have any recollection of it, I doubt you think that one would yeah, be better. I don't, doesn't really um, those are the main ones that I'm that are coming to my mind. I mean, I'm sure I'm missing a couple. Maybe the listeners can throw some at us. But to me. I think this four-way on 205 Live edges out the Daniel Bryan, Kofi Kingston match, and a couple of the others I mentioned. I think the um, the Brock-Finn Balor match would be the other one that I'd have in, in my personal contention for main roster match year. I like the Elimination Chamber match. I'd have that a notch below. I'd have Ray Andrade, the, I believe, second one. Um, a notch below, maybe the first one of one was clearly better than the other. I can't right there, there was also a uh, Styles uh, Rollins match at Money in the Bank that I think I enjoyed a lot as well. Styles but. Rollins Money in the Bank. Oh yeah, yeah, that was pretty good. That was yeah, that was all right. Um, so yeah, I mean, when you really break it down that way, look, it's like I think you can go with any one of those that we mentioned and not be too because they're all of similar quality, and we haven't had the one surefire kick ass way better than everything else WWE main roster match yet. Would you agree with that? Oh, I don't for sure. That. Yeah. No, there's not one that like everybody points to and goes, no, that is the match this year for sure. No, that we haven't had that yet. Yeah. And you can't count NXT because there, there's probably 10 NXT matches better than anything that's been on the main roster. I mean, how many takeovers have there been? There's at least three matches on every takeover because um, the takeovers are incredible. But, um, but yeah. Rich checking in with the, with the purple brand. Yeah, I like. I might start. I might start watching it again. I like. I, I you know. I like the idea that everything's just fucking shoot. Like nobody, they know nobody's watching. So the commentators are jacking around. The 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 all the stories about how Drake Maverick's a terrible general manager and he's too busy fucking around on Raw chasing the twenty four seven title and he's got no rebuttal towards that. Everyone's like, yeah, well, where have you been? And he's like, oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> so I like yeah. that they address that. Uh, Nigel, I love that. My favorite part of the entire episode is when Chad Gable comes out. And Nigel just goes, <laughs> I love this. I think you talked about it on the review too, where he just goes, we have so many guys here with uh, issues that need resolving. And why do we need more people here? I forget the exact quote, but essentially just like, Jesus, do we really need another guy in this brand? We have a bunch of dudes doing nothing. Like, what the hell are we doing? But then at the end, he was just like, whatever, it's Jack Gable. But I, I love a little bit of like Nigel shooting there. Cause that was not like, like in character, that doesn't make any sense though, does it? Like that had to just be like Nigel just being like, oh, really? Come on. Like we have 10 guys on this, like, 10 guys in this roster doing nothing. Why do we need another guy that, that's going to eventually do nothing? But I enjoyed that part. But yeah, everyone's just shooting, eating English, just fucking around on t- commentary. So I enjoyed it. Nigel says a lot of shit like that. Two weeks ago, Drake Maverick stopped in the middle of a backstage segment to chase our truth down the hallway. So Ooh, some continuity. This has been a, yes, they hired uh, the continuity editor for uh, stuff like this. Yeah, and Noam Dar's so upset with uh, with Drake that he's threatening to go to NXT UK. <laughs> yeah, he's like, "Fuck this, I'm out of here." That was kind of that's kind of funny. Dude. Where he kind of belongs because he's good on that show, and he's atrocious on 205 Live. Nobody's worse than the Singh brothers, though. They are so bad. They are an utterly useless act. Yeah, does that happen every week? That thing. Yes, and they're, oh. they're they're terrible. How bad are the Singh that brothers? That was not great. Yeah, I'll, I'll probably do a little fast forward through that every uh, every week. Because as great as they are, they're as really Jinder, good too. They're as, awesome. In, <laughs> as as great as they are in the in the role as Jinder's bump takers, 
that's how bad they are as, as wrestlers. Like their matches are so bad and so boring, but they're so awesome just bumping around for gender. So I don't know. I, I know they have no use for gender and they don't use gender anymore, but those guys would be much better suited as just, you know, wearing a suit and hanging out with Jinder Mahal. But what are we doing here? We got the G1 to talk yeah, about. Yeah, we got a lot of stuff too. But that was that was our uh, our trip towards last week's 205 Live. So uh, come back next week when we uh, preview. Uh, maybe I'll watch like one from a month ago and we can talk about that. We'll just work our way backwards through 205 Live. And... Please don't. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. But I, I, I'll, I'll keep up with the purple brand. That was that was, that was an easy 40-minute watch. This is so. such a good show that you're coming back next week. Isn't that kind of the idea? That's what Raw doesn't do anymore. Right? I mean, that's kind of the idea. You, you want pe- you want it to be good enough where people come back, but, right? Uh, yeah, because I fell off, and now I'm like, all right, I'll check it out, and it probably it, it'll probably stink, but <laughs> I have a lot more Mike and Maria Canellis probably next week, but that's fine. But anyway, yeah, let's get to this G1 here. All right, so let's look at the G1. We've got um, quite the field. This I think is the most consensus. I haven't seen any dissension. People love this field. It's got a bunch of new blood, which is one of your points of contention every year. You like to see new blood in the G1. You don't like to see the same guys over and over. Uh, It's got two loaded blocks. I think one is slightly better than the other, but I think both of them have potential weaknesses that can jump forward and, and, and sink them, which we can get into in a minute. But let's start with... The uh, five, uh, six men, actually, who will be making their G1 debuts. We've got the junior champion, Will Ospreay. We've got Kenta, who announced his intentions at Dominion. We've got Jeff Cobb, which most people expected. Shingo, who announced his intentions at Dominion as well. Uh, Taichi, who they really slow played that during the live announcement with him at ringside. And then the crowd just absolutely went bonkers when that little bird that flies around in his uh, video there. <laughs> and then, of course, John Moxley, who announced his intentions at Dominion as well. And then uh, Lance Archer coming back to the G1 the first time since 2014. So really seven fresh faces compared to last year. That's going to happen when you have uh, the elite guys and, and and Mike Elgin and some others no longer being with the company. And then they bump some other people out like Tamatanga and whatnot. So a very eclectic field, a very fresh field, two balanced and loaded blocks. Uh, the, the blocks themselves, the A block, we've got Okada, Zack Sabre Jr., Tanahashi, Kota Ibushi, Evil and Sonata, Bad Luck Fale, and then uh, Lance Archer, Willow Spray, and Kenta. Rich, the A block, what do you make of the A block, first of all? Quick thoughts on the A block, and then we'll uh, do the B block. Okay, so as far as the A block, I I think, and and I don't know exactly what your stance is on the blocks, I think I like the A block a little bit better, and I think a big reason why is those three guys at the bottom that you mentioned. Someone like a Lance Archer, who I think does well against almost every different type of style. Like We know he's going to have a good match against like a guy like Will Ospreay. We know against guys like Okada and Sabre. Like, he's going to be able to have a a lot of really fun matches against a lot of different opponents, so I like him a lot. Of course, Will Ospreay, you know, all eyes are on him to see what he can do in this tournament, and and there's no question looking at the guys. He's going to have a match with Kota Bushi, Tanahashi, Okada, Saber, Kenta, you know, Lance Archer. We saw a match with those guys earlier this year. And, and even guys like Evil Sonata, uh, you know, everybody but Bad Luck Folly, really, I'm anticipating Will Ospreay's match. And I'm actually kind of fascinated to see what he does with against, you know, a guy like a Bad Luck Folly. So you really look at that. And there's, again, another guy that every single matchup across the board is, is good. And then the final name there is probably the name I'm most excited about in this G1, and that's Kenta. 
you know, a how does he deliver, and 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 can he deliver? Can he keep up with the tournament the entire way? Can he can he stay healthy throughout? I I think he will be able to, but we'll see. That'll kind of be the story of it. But also because look at all the fresh matchups again, and that's the thing that every G one I look for more than anything is okay. What are the fresh matchups? What are the interesting things? What are things we've never seen before? We've never seen Kenta against any of these guys. You know what I mean? Like these are all fresh matchups. We're gonna get Kenta versus Okada, which is just like Jesus Christ. Like that is one of my like dream matches of all time is to see those guys. Kenta one of my favorite wrestlers of all time, and. and Okada, one of my favorites of all time. So it's like right then and there, you got it. You got Kenta versus Zack Sabre Jr., Kenta versus Tanahashi, Kenta versus Kota, Kenta versus Will Ospreay. Like there's just so much in that 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 block that really, other than Bad Luck Folly, I don't see a guy, and, and maybe Evil to an extent, uh, a guy that's really going to drag this block down. So for me, the A block definitely stands out. And uh, what, one other point I wanted to bring up when, when I brought, was talking about Will Ospreay too, the idea of the junior champion being in there and, and the fascinating part about his booking and how that's going to go. Uh, the, the last I can remember, and I kind of did some research, 2001 was the last time I think they allowed juniors, quote-unquote, uh, in this tournament. It was Liger and Minoru Tanaka uh, were invitees into the G1 that year. So we're talking 2019 to 2001, unless I'm wrong, and the, unless there was one in between there as like a true, quote-unquote, junior. That's a huge for Will Ospreay, too. So I'm really fascinated to see how the booking goes there. But, I mean, between those three guys at the bottom of the block, I mean, those guys are all interesting matchups, all fun matchups. And, and overall, I think the save block's pretty loaded. Yeah. The only person in this block that makes you roll your eyes is Fale. Fale stinks. And he's the worst person in the entire tournament. So, But the rest of the block, solid as fuck. I agree with you on those three guys. Um, the one interesting thing I see here is with Willow Spray being put in this block, it, it tells me that they're serious about him being a heavyweight player moving forward. Because if you notice, Rich, he's got a million rematches in this block, which means they're saving all of his matches with the guys in the other block. He's already faced Okada. He's already faced Zack Sabre Jr. a million times. He's already faced Kota Ibushi, Wrestle Kingdom. He's faced Fale. He's faced Lance Archer. He's got a lot of rematches, which means they're saving a lot of Willow Spray's other stuff. With the only, guy in the, the only guy in the other block that he's ever faced is Jay White at the anniversary show. And I guess Cobb, but Cobb's a, an outsider, so he doesn't really count. Shingo's a junior. But but all of those other big-time heavyweights, he hasn't faced yet, whether it's Naito or Ishii or Moxley. Um, you know, so those are the primary ones. Uh, Juice, too, for that matter. So they've got him in a block where he's got a bunch of rematches. Uh, Kenta, I mean, you know, he's a, he's a real wild card. I mean, but this is my favorite wrestler of all time. And he looks like he's in great shape, and he looks like he's determined to deliver. And, uh, you know, he, he had a lot of low-key, excellent matches on 205 Live when nobody was paying attention in his last, you know, several months in the company. And that's when he was overweight and unmotivated. So if he's in shape and he's motivated to impress people, um, you know, he, he, he just, he, he's a guy that you almost forget is in this block. Right. Yeah. You know, he he kind of sneaks other... up on you. Not one smile either. You keep bringing this up. Not one fucking smile out of the Kenta yet, which is no, he's not great. cracking smiles. He's down to business, he's not eating pancakes, cracking smiles. He's fucking Kenta. I think that one interview was just, I am not, I am Kenta. It's like, that's it. I don't want him to say another thing. The rest of the tournament that we, he said it all right there in his stoic voice. I am Kenta. The end. We're good. We don't need anything else. Then you got Okada, Saber, Tanahashi, and Ibushi, of course, which when they were doing the live announcement, it's like, Jesus, everybody in this block, this is an incredible block. So the B block, we've got Naito, Tomohiro Ishii, Juice Robinson, Toru Yano, Hiroki Goto, Jay White, Jeff Cobb, Shingo Takagi, Taichi, and John Moxley. To me, it's a slight notch below the A block on paper. I look at this block, and what instantly jumps out at me is the opposite of what jumped out on me at Will Ospreay. 
it seems to me they're keeping Moxley away from a bunch of people as opposed to, you know, he, he, they're keeping him away from Okada, Zack Sabre Jr., Tanahashi, Kota Ibushi. Um, and I think that's by design. They're saving all of Moxley's big singles matches with the exception of Naito. You can't save them all. Um, you know, for some point down the line, those are all potential headlining main event level matches. And they put him in a block where he can get the Juice Robinson rematch again, which is going to be on the final night. And, uh, and, and he'll have the Naito match, of course. And he'll have an incredible match, I think, with Ishii. I think those guys will, will, will mesh very well. Um, but this is, uh, I think, a slight notch below on paper. Doesn't mean it'll turn out that way. Rich, I think both blocks have some very obvious pitfalls or flaws that could happen. I'll get to those after you give a quick assessment of what you think of the B block. Yeah, I, I'm probably with you, and I, I, I'm sure there are people listening that much more prefer the B block over the A block. But the A block is basically like you and I, and and I know you know <laughs> several people that listen to this. Like this is our wheelhouse, man, in terms of like top top tier wrestlers and guys that we really like, and and guys that we've always talked about on the show that 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 you and I, you know. Some of our favorite of all time, <laughs> you know. Some of our favorites are in that block. Uh, whereas the B block is like, there's some good guys. That, like I'm not, you know, sliding on the B block. It's still a very awesome block. I mean, it's this fucking 2019 G1, which is absolutely stacked. But there are your guys. Like there's your Yanos, and we'll get to that in a bit. And and yes, we know why Yanos in the tournament. Yes, we know. Just before we get those tweets or whatnot, we'll talk about that in a sec. Uh, you got your guy like Yano, a Jay White. I'm very, very, very fascinated to see what Jay White does in this tournament. Obviously, last year he was really trying to build up the "Hey, I'm a heel character. Look how evil I am" type guy. And that sort of dragged down a lot of the matches. A lot of the matches were, were mired in interference or him being a chicken shit and all that sort of stuff. And I'm very fascinated to see if he's kind of moved past that and instead is just kind of a guy that's out there working hard as opposed to just trying to get his character over. Because again, that's another guy that I, I have a question mark next to. If I'm putting little marks next to guys, the A block, the mark I have is bad luck folly because he fucking stinks. You know what I mean? Like the little check mark yeah. or whatever the hell you want to call it. As this one, I have Yano, who we know what the Yano thing is going to be. We'll talk about that in a sec. You have Jay White. I'm putting a check mark there because I, I don't know. I don't know what his style is going to be in this tournament. Um, a guy like a Jeff Cobb, I'm not worried at, uh, about it all. Shingo Takagi, I'm not worried about it all. Taichi, I put a check mark next to there. I don't know. I don't know what we're getting from Taichi. He's had a very good year, but sometimes you get the bullshit with him. I, is this going to be a tournament full of bullshit or is it going to be Taichi working his ass off? I don't know. Got to put a check mark next to there. John Moxley, another guy who I love the character. I love everything they're doing with John Moxley right now in New Japan. I don't know how the work's going to be, you know, especially in the rigors of a G1 Climax tournament for a guy that's been off all these months and all that sort of stuff. So I got to put another check mark there of like, I don't know what he's going to do uh, throughout this tournament. And then you have your guys like Naito, no doubt what he's going to do. He's going to go out there and kill it every single night. He should go out there and kill it every single night. And Juice Robinson, we've seen him be able to kill it every night uh, as well. I'll add Goto to that mix as well. Goto always has really great G1s. So like, those guys I'm not worried about, but there's enough guys in this block that I'm kind of like, ah, I don't know. Like, what are we going to get from Taichi? What are we going to get from Moxley? What are we going to get from a, a Jay White? Those are the ones that really, to me, can maybe make or make, uh, break this block. If those guys all go out there and bust their ass and, and have good tournaments, then then I'm, I'm excited about the B block. But until I see it, I, I, I just I, I have a little bit of caution about the B block. And that's the reason why I, I, you know, I, I think the A block's a little stronger. Here's the question marks I have for the A block. The A block can really be dragged down significantly if Kenta is indeed washed up and if Hiroshi Tanahashi wrestles the way he's wrestled over the last couple weeks. Yeah, he's had a, he's he's looking rough for the first time ever. In a, yeah, that's so, not looking good. If those two guys are washed up or have bad tournaments, it greatly drags down the A block at that point because then you also have the worst guy in the tournament in the block too with, with Fale. 
those are my two big question marks in that block. I don't really have any other question marks in the A block. I think everybody else is a pretty safe bet to deliver. The B block, my question, let's set Yano aside. I don't I don't care about Yano. To me, Yano and Fale are a wash because Fale is going to be awful. And Yano will be more entertaining than Fale, but he's not for me, and I'm bored of him after night two. I He can only take the turnbuckle pad off so many times before right. I yawn. I and just, by the way, listen to every preview of every G1 we've had in the last five years for our thoughts on, on yeah. the Yano thing. We don't need to do it again. We know why he's in this tournament. We understand. Yes, we know he plays a role. We both just don't want it anymore. So, <laughs> so it's just, it's whatever. I don't, his presence doesn't bother me. I understand why he's there. Um, but I, him and Fowler are awash. Both their matches are always going to be for me. Uh, go make a sandwich. Okay. My question marks in the B block are um, Moxley. Look, I think some nights he's going to go out there and fucking kill it. But we've talked about this, Rich. I do think there's two or three duds in him where he just doesn't mesh with a guy or it's just um, what what he's trying to do doesn't land. It would not shock me if he has two or three matches like that that just don't work. And it wouldn't shock me at all if he has two or three that are just out of this world where he has, like if he has tremendous chemistry with Ishii or Goto or somebody like that, and and we know that he could have a great match with Juice, and they're going to have a rematch. Um, you know those matches are going to be fantastic. But I, to me, I have to call him a question mark. The other guy is Jay White because we don't know how he's going to work it. His tournament was very annoying last year uh, because he was busy trying to get a character over. Um, if he's if there's a lot of shenanigans with Gato or this and that, he can have another an, uh, very annoying tournament. His matches can become a drag. But if he works it like he's been working recently where it's just the finish can come out of nowhere and he's just sleazy enough to get over as a heel, but he's not out and out, you know, just doing constant shenanigans with the referee and with his manager, then I think he could have a good tour. But it could really go either way with Jay White. Taichi's another one. We've seen Taichi go out there. And when he plays it mostly straight, he could go out there and have a great match. We've seen him do it. Yeah, this year he's had an awesome year when he's delivering and when he's trying, and then he's had you know his his his, his typical Taichi stuff. And and who knows? Yeah, what, who knows? We're going to get this tournament. Now I like a little bit of Taichi stuff because that's who he is. The problem is when it gets overdone. If he's dragging the mic stand in, and if his valet is 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 pulling the ref aside every match, and it's like the old school Taichi bullshit. That's going to be awful. Well, particularly so, in this block as well, because there's a chance that he's going to be following or directly after a Yano match, which we know what that's going to be. You know what I mean? Like, we know that you're going to get filled with bullshit in that match. So it's one of these things where you're like, ah, oh, geez, like, is it going to be a situation? If, if Taichi was alone in his block and Yano was gone and he was replaced with whoever, insert random guy, I don't know that I'd be that much more annoyed, like you're saying. But the the fact is that when you see guy, like a guy like Yano do his his garbage and and maybe Fale doing his stuff and J.Y. potentially doing his stuff, that when Taichi comes out and he's dragging the mic stand, doing all, you're like, okay. All right, let's go. Like, come on. I don't need to see another guy doing this shit. And that's my biggest worry with, with him and Yano in the same block. My feeling is Taichi's probably going to have two or three awesome matches and a couple of matches that are just flat out awful. And then I think Jeff Cobb's a question mark. And the reason I say that is he's very up and down and inconsistent everywhere he wrestles with the exception of Ring of Honor. For whatever reason, in Ring of Honor, he's fucking incredible. The Shane Taylor match and the Hangman Page match and all of the other TV stuff I've seen. Jeff Cobb and Ring of Honor is just like, for whatever reason, like a perfect comp. It just has worked out perfectly. And he comes off like a superstar. Love him in Ring of Honor. 
everywhere else I've seen Jeff Cobb, he's been up and down. Whether it's uh, in the Evolve run or PWG, where I don't love everything he does. Um, you know, so it's like, I, I, I'm not sure about Cobb. But here's the thing. These are just question marks. You know, it, like, if, if my confidence in Cobb delivering is pretty solid. But I, I'd, I'd say I'm 75% confident that he delivers to his potential in this tournament. But there's that 25% where I'm not sure. sure. Same thing with Moxley. It's like I'm 80% confident he'll deliver. But there's that 20% part of me that says, okay, sometimes he's going to do stuff that doesn't land. Taichi, I'm like 50-50 because I don't know what we're going to get. Jay White scares the shit out of me. I have no clue what I'm getting out of Jay White. So here's the thing. If all four of those guys are like, you know, shaky, the B block can get ugly. Tetsuya Naito, I don't worry about him. But I'll say this about Naito. He always gets off to a, a relatively slow start in the G1. You ever notice that? And then it's like you're nine nights in. Yeah, and then he's like the fucking best for like two weeks. <laughs> you, you know, you're like nine nights in and he's not in anyone's top five. Like, right. oh yeah, Naito's in this thing too. It's always that way. And then you like you hit the final three nights and he just fucking kills it. And then he's in everybody's top five. And he has like the best match in the tournament. So I don't worry about Naito. I, of course, I don't worry about Ishii. Ishii is always a threat to be the MVP of the whole thing. I don't worry about Juice. I don't worry about Goto at all. Goto's awesome. Uh, Yano, we're throwing him out. It doesn't matter. And Shingo, I'm not worried about. Shingo, I think, is going to go out there and be good in all of his matches. Will his opponent always be good? I don't know. Because I have questions about four of those dudes. But I know I have no, no qualms at all that Shingo's going to go out there and put in Shingo performances every night. So I have more questions about the B block. The problem is if you eliminate Tanahashi and Kenta from the equation, I mean, that really drastically hurts the A block. You're right. Yeah. I didn't really think about that. Uh, you know, the, the potential of both those guys not delivering. I just kind of, I guess I take Tanahashi for granted because I think he's just always can kind of turn it on or whatnot, but it's been, it's been rough for him these last few weeks. So that's worry. And then, yeah, I, the Kenta blow up potential is, is definitely there. I don't, think so like if i'm a betting man i think he's gonna go out there and, and be awesome but you're right there's there's the possibility that or the possibility that he just gets hurt or he can't hold up to the rigors or whatever we'll, we'll, we'll definitely have to see but those, those are worse. two huge blows to it's two advice. huge blows it's like worse if those guys are washed up than if taichi doesn't deliver. like who cares if taichi doesn't deliver you know what i mean it's like but if kenta or tanahashi don't deliver or both like that's a huge blow a much bigger blow than like if taichi or jeff cobb don't deliver so Interesting, but I, I I wanted to, you know, everyone's going to fawn over the blocks because they're great blocks and they're balanced and this is a loaded field, but I wanted to point out some of the potential pitfalls that there are in each block. Um, let's go over each guy now and we'll do what we do every year. And I want you to tell me, uh, you know, do they have a realistic chance of winning the entire tournament, uh, number one? And then we'll briefly talk about what kind of tournament we think we're going to get out, uh, out of them. Let's start in the B block. And we'll start with Moxley. Does Moxley have a legitimate chance of winning the tournament? Rich Krejci, you are up first. Uh, nah, I don't think so. No, because you're asking him to then headline. Now, two Dome shows. Does that change your mind? Uh, not really. I just think that we're too muddy with AEW kicking off in, in the fall and whatnot. So, we'll, And we'll get to that here in a sec, obviously, with Moxley. But uh, I think he's there as kind of an attraction for right now. But I don't think he's anybody that you say, yeah, we're definitely going to go to the Dome uh, with him. So, so I'm, a, I'm a pretty heavy no on him. Okay, now you do expect him to be a player going into the final three nights. 
Um, he's got juice in the final night of the block. If if you need, a yeah, little. you're right. That that is, he's probably going to be a player. I mean, he is a champion, so they're obviously going to protect him over over non champions, uh, if if possible. Uh, juice doing a, a big upset on the final night seems like a pretty. I, I I'd say he's in the mix. I, I think he's in the mix. I don't think he's like a. I, I don't know how to put it. Like I don't think I'll ever truly believe he's a contender, but I think he might be in the mix in kayfabe standpoint of, of being near the block, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. I agree. I think he'll be in the mix right till his final match. I think Juice upsets him and knocks him out. And then I think it comes down to Naito and Jay White. That's what I think. So I think, yeah, Moxley, I think he'll have an excellent record going into that Juice match, maybe one or two losses, maybe two losses. And then um, that loss will eliminate him and the, and the block will come down to Naito White. So I'm with you. I think kayfabe-wise, he's a, he's a player. But realistically, I don't think he can win um, the the G1. Now, can he win the block? Because we always talk about that too. You could always have one block winner, you know, the Goto thing that we always reference, where it's not a guy who maybe necessarily can win the whole tournament, but anyone can win a block if the guy from the other block is going to win the tournament. So do you give Moxley any kind of chance to win his block? A little bit of a chance. Like, I'm still of the mindset, and we'll get to it when we talk about, you know, the, the top of this B block. I'm still of the the mind that Naito's going and winning this G1. So for me, then that sort of eliminates, obviously, Moxley. But for your standpoint, you, you've been talking about Kotobushi for a while, and I don't know if you've kind of changed off that uh, based off the schedule and the, and the block placement or whatnot. But if you're under the assumption that someone like Ibushi or, or even Okada as a champion uh, wins, which, you know, seems pretty unlikely, but we'll talk about it when we get there, uh, then I could see Moxley doing it. But for me, I can't personally say that because I, I do think Naito's going through and winning the entire block but but I can absolutely see it if like another scenario plays out like where Kotobushi or, or, or whoever from the A block I think he's very very realistically uh, could find his way in, in the block championship but yeah not ultimately winning the G1 okay so Moxley is not working Dallas we've got to address this yes this was New Japan got ahead of this by putting out a little press release and putting out some tweets before they announced the card lineups now, he was never advertised for Dallas. That is important to note. So it's not like they pulled him from, an, from a card that, you know, they never advertised him for Dallas. So, but they still chose to get ahead of it and say that he wasn't going to be there, which I found, well, I have a theory as to why I think they did that. And uh, as we found out, as we speculated, um, it's an AEW thing. Moxley is not going to be able to work any shows in the United States once that what's that date nine one I guess is the date for everybody for the indie dates and everything else right 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 yeah, that are not AEW dates and well this isn't even past nine one but I guess they're just his deal I guess says he can't work um, non AEW I guess they just don't want him working the New Japan date I mean because he's working NEW dates but um, but at any rate he won't be in Dallas New Japan jumped ahead of it. Um, Rich, what do you make of this? You wrote yes. an article on the site. Yeah, so I have a, I have a, a column right now up on VoicesWrestling.com if you want to read that. Uh, this is a weird one because I saw a lot of people with their battle lines of, oh, well, it's New Japan is doing this because AEW is doing it because of this, and they're the bad guy, and that's the bad guy. And, and I'm ultimately kind of like, I don't think anybody's really the bad person in this. I don't think anyone's really the bad guy in this. I think ultimately it's just a lot of different parties, maybe selfishly. And I, I won't 
say it's not selfishly, but selfishly in their best interest is deciding, you know, AEW saying, hey, yeah, you can work Japan and do everything else, but no, you can't work America. No, you can't work a New Japan show. And and again, like, do I think that it's like, oh my God, if, if I saw John Moxley on this New Japan in Dallas, like I'm not going to go to AEW or John Moxley. I never buy into that. I, I think that's kind of bullshit most times when, when companies try to do that, but they're well in their contracted rights. If they said, hey, John Moxley will sign you to this deal, but you can't work Japan in the US. And he said, well, there's enough money on the table here. So that sounds good to me. Then that's fine. Like they bargained it, and that's sort of the contract. And and I can't really get too upset about it. And I don't think it's like super. We'll get to the AEW part of it here in a little bit. But yeah, anyway, that's their kind of stance of it. And New Japan, I think, is at like almost no fault whatsoever because they essentially never booked this guy to go on that on that show. They was never announced that John Moxley was going to be there. And and more to their credit is they got out ahead of it. And just in case, just in case, because I they could have absolutely and I and most companies probably would have just let it ride until maybe the final day and then say, ah, you know what? Yeah, John Moxley's not going to be here. Or if a bunch of people ask, they might say, but maybe hope that some naive wrestling fans go, oh, John Moxley's in New Japan now. Oh, he's in the G1. I'll go buy tickets to this. Like, it would take a very naive fan to do that, but still, there might be a few of those that might buy a ticket because of that. Well, New Japan gets out ahead of it and says, hey, this guy that we never advertised is not actually going to be at the show, just so you know, which I think is really cool that they did that. They didn't have to do that. Very, very, as I wrote in the, in the article, how often does a wrestling company advertise that a wrestler that wasn't advertised is not going to be there? You know, like they don't have to do that because it's just like you don't announce him and then he's not there. But they smartly said, okay, people are probably going to assume, and rightfully so. I think you and I both assumed, oh, well, Mox is coming to yeah. New Japan. Of course, that he's going to be a part of the Dallas thing. So they smartly realized that a lot of people are probably under the assumption that Moxie was going to find his way out of the show in some form or fashion. So they got out ahead of it and said, no, 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 look, he's not going to be on the show, which I think, again, is, is a really smart idea by them and a really good idea by them. And then Moxley, he signed whatever deal he wants. Like he, he, he obviously got an, enough of a good deal from AEW that he's fine being off of this show. And he got enough of a good deal uh, from New Japan to go to Japan and do shows there. So it's like, I, I don't know. There's not really a bad guy in this situation. Everyone's just kind of acting in their own best interest, even if it's kind of selfishly. And even if it results in, you know, Moxley not being on the Dallas show, but I don't, I just, I don't think it's that big of a deal to, to me, honestly. No, it's, First of all, if he was allowed to be on the show, he'd be on the show. Can we yes. please get that out of the way? Yes. <laughs> there's a lot of weirdos out there saying, well, if Taichi's not there and he can't be facing the guy he's facing in his first match and a tag, then what's the point of booking him? The point of booking him is he's the hottest star in the world. I don't care if Taichi's there or not. If you have a chance to put Moxley on the show and you're legally allowed to do so or contractually allowed to do so or whatever, you put him on the show. You find a way. Okay, uh, you shoehorn him in there somehow, and it really doesn't matter whether it's a singles match against a young lion or working it, work him in in another one of the tags. If you can put him on your show, you put, you can bet if he was contractually allowed to work, they'd have him on that show There's against anybody. Yeah, throw him against Clark Connors, have him roll around yes. in the ring and whatever. Just have him come out, walk out, go back in the back. He's yeah, he's the biggest star in wrestling. They'd find a way to shoehorn him into that show for sure. Yeah, so that's number one. Number two, I sense these two companies are frenemies right now. And there's a lot of passive aggressiveness. And I think this is all part of the odd frenemy relationship that they have where AEW, and I don't think they're at fault for not letting them work the show. I don't. I think if they're within their rights to do that based on his contract, then I don't have a problem with them exercising that right. But I do think there's a little bit of passive aggressiveness to that. And I think there's a little bit of passive aggressiveness to New Japan putting that out yesterday before the lineups came out. I do. Because it was only about 12 hours before they put their lineups out. They could have let people wait another 12 hours to quietly find out that Moxley wasn't on the show. 
But what they chose to do was very loudly proclaim that Moxley wasn't going to be on the show 12 hours before they had to do so. And I think it was because they wanted to make a big deal out of the fact that AEW wasn't allowing him to work. Oh, show. of course. No, there was definitely a, a get out. Cause then if, if Mox is not on the show, then the negativity sort of goes to them. If they don't announce anything and it's kind of like, well, geez, why did you not, why is yeah. Mox not on the show? Why did you not book him? Or what the hell's going on? Or, Oh, we thought he was going to be on there. So I think there there's it, it twofold in your set in, in like you're saying it. I think it also, it gets out ahead of the story. It kind of lets everybody know, Hey, just don't buy tickets because of this. Just let you know the lineups are coming out. But like you said, it also is a little bit of, hey, just let you know, like, you know, we would love to have him. But yeah, you know, there's some things are going on where we can't have, like their exact statement is uh, John Moxley has been confirmed as a participant of G1 Climax 29. Unfortunately, Moxley will miss the G1 Climax 29 opening day taking place at the American Airlines Center in Dallas, Texas on July 6, 2019. Additionally, he will not be in attendance at the G1 Climax press conference taking place on July 5th. I think that's a that's a line that didn't need to be in there. That I think they just wanted to yeah. maybe kind of say, hey, you know, we're not the petty rich, ones, but rich, yeah, they're, yeah. rich they're, they're turning the screw. Exactly, it, it, right. This, means, like, this, this is all passive-aggressive shots right, that right, both right. sides are taking. I mean, to me, that's what's going on here. Yeah, Moxie will join the G1 Tour on July 13th in Tokyo. We appreciate your understanding. Yeah. So, um, and again, they didn't have to do that. And I, I, I agree they did it for two reasons. Number one, to get ahead of it. And number two, to do their own passive-aggressive lob to the other side and let people be angry. Because people were angry at AEW. It worked. That's where all the, the anger is directed with this whole thing. Uh, most of the anger is towards um, AEW, and 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 I think that was uh, a, a bit by design by New Japan. But uh, that's Moxie. Let's talk about Taichi a little bit. I don't think either one of us think he has any chance to win this tournament. No, we're I'm at a zero for sure. But. Or 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 to advance out of the block. So, um, any other thoughts about Taichi making his G1 debut? Uh, he, like I said, they really milked it with him during the announcements. They had him sitting out there too to really uh, to, to help milk it. And then when they announced some of his matches the next night, they all got really good responses. So do you have any other additional thoughts about Taichi? Uh, what kind of record you think he'll finish with? I see him somewhere three and six range towards the bottom of the standings. What do you think about Taichi? Yeah, I think so. I think maybe he's capable of a few like kind of big upsets to kind of straighten out this block a little bit and and maybe get a little bit of balance there. And that's what Yano will talk about when, when we get up to Yano too. That's a big part of his thing is that he can kind of have this balance. And I think I, I see Taichi as the same guy too. I think Taichi can beat like a guy like Ishii or whatever. And it's, it's not going to look like uh, something that that's ridiculous or whatever like that. I think so. He can, I, I want to say 500. Maybe he's, he's in that range middle of a block. I don't know that he's ever in the top half. I don't know if he's ever contending for the block lead, but I think he's in the mix. He's definitely not on the lower end of it, but I think he, he at least is going to be, I, is he maybe going to be in the lower F though? I'm looking at the at the block though, and I don't see a I bunch of guys a, that I, can lose now. That I'm I'm kind of looking at this going, man, I don't know because like Moxley, you're not going to have lose a bunch. Uh, Shingo, I, but I mean, how do you go from undefeated for you know 90 matches to like you know dropping five falls in in a tournament or whatnot? And then guys like Cobb, I guess, is not going to do great, but he has to do okay. Jay White, obviously, I think is going to be a player until the final night. Um, maybe Taichi is going to do pretty bad. Taichi's a bottom guy. Yeah, maybe he is a bottom guy. Okay. He's, the bottom guy. he's he's not he's finishing in the bottom three. Um so's Cobb. And I wonder if I, uh, I think your man Goto might be finishing in the bottom. I, Goto, I, Goto I feel is, bad. I feel horrible, but it's like, oh no, there's I don't I'm think looking Goto, at the list. Like, oh no. I don't I don't think Goto will have a winning record. Oh I think oh, uh, no. Goto's got four and five, three and six written all over For him. Sure. I think I think yeah. Yano I think Yano finishes near the bottom. I think those guys finish near the bottom. Let's. This is a good transition because what do you think of Shingo? Because this one's a tough one for me to figure. Um, 
he obviously only has one loss. They gave him the win over Kojima, which was a big win. I don't think he'll be a bottom guy. I don't think he'll have a losing record. Um, but I don't look, I think he'll get one or two. Let me ask you, do you think he gets one or two? Here's the thing though. All the big wins are in the other block. Okay. There's a lot of like upper mid card guys in this block. What would you consider a big win for Shingo? I think there's three Moxley, Naito, and Jay White. I don't think him beating anyone else would stun me. No, yeah, him beating Ishii would be like, all right, cool. That's like sort of a, a sign that he's, you know, whenever he's done with his junior run, he's able to kind of move up. Uh, Goto, no, he can he can easily beat Goto. Juice, obviously, he can easily beat Juice. Um, yeah, I'm kind of with you. Yeah, Moxley is, is a big one because we know that he's pushed to a certain level and he's going to be uh, a guy in the mix. So if we agree that he, there are three potential big wins for Shingo, how many do, does he get? Uh, I'll give you the over under is one and the over under is one and a half on, on the three big wins. Um, yeah. Under. Yeah, I think he gets one. Which one it'll be? I don't know. I think him beating Naito would actually be pretty funny. Pretty interesting. Like Naito, I think is probably going to win the entire block, but I think, you know, Shingo having that win over him might be a pretty cool thing to kind of build towards. The problem is I don't think they're going to do a briefcase match with, Shingo and Naito. Oh, you're right. Yeah, of course. I I forget we have like four. I guess you can. You can't ignore that one. Like you can ignore like a Yano briefcase match, uh, but you can't ignore a Shingo one. Forget that. Then yeah, strike that from the record. I think Naito's Um, beating him. I think. I think he could beat Moxley. I think Moxley of those three would be the one I would say. Maybe Moxley. Yeah, White doesn't. I don't know. I don't really love that. But Moxley has a title, so is he going to lose to a junior? See, it's it is is the U.S. title too. To be fair, so. Yeah, but you know it's Moxley, right. who is a big star and a title holder, and it's a junior. So it's just so interesting. This tournament has so many interesting angles, and Shingo to me is a guy. I I really don't have a good feel for what they're going to do with him. Um, you know the whole junior thing. You can't ever discount that, even though we know the long term goal with both of these juniors is to move them up. They're right. still juniors right now, and that still means something. And I have and that will be a further discussion to have when we get to Will. But, yeah, so uh, as far as, you know, we were talking about 2001 again, it's completely different. It's a completely different company at this point, too. Okay. But uh, Liger had three points in that uh, uh, tournament, and uh, Minoru Tanaka had two. So yeah, uh, they, were, they didn't do well. <laughs> yeah, and, it, you know, and it wouldn't surprise me if Shingo doesn't do particularly well. I'd be more surprised if Will Ospreay doesn't do particularly well. Um, but but I, I, he's, it's, he's one of those guys where I really don't know. As far as Cobb, um, I've kind of said my piece about Cobb. I think he'll be towards the bottom of the bracket just because he's an outsider and it's so loaded this year. Um, I can't see him having more than three or four wins tops. I would put his his over under for total wins at three and a half. What would you take? I might go over on him because I think at least I I guess it depends who. So I guess he's he's there on behalf of Ring of Honor, correct? Is that yeah. is that what so <laughs> if I was Ring of Honor, I would say, no, please don't have Jeff Cobb, you know, lose a bunch All of right, give me give me the four wins. But that's the problem, is though I can't really give you that because I don't know. And that's that's the thing. If I was Ring of Honor, I'd be like, no, you can't have our like, you know, a guy we're pushing lose to a bunch of these dudes. But like I think we could find four wins. Okay, he can beat Taichi. He can beat Taichi for sure. He, he can, can beat Yano. Beat, he could beat Yano, he could beat Shingo. I think he, he could beat Goto. He could beat Goto, and I think he could beat Ishii if they set up a never match. Okay. He's a former never champion. Yeah, you could do that. 
But you can find – I think three and a half saw. I should have went four and a half. I think four and a half is a better over-under. I'm adjusting the line. Like Vegas, I have decided to adjust <laughs> yeah. the line. The over-under on Cobb's four and a half. But I don't see him being a player, and I'm pretty sure he'll have a losing record. He's got four and five written all over him. Um, Jay White. So is there a chance he can win the block, and is there a chance he could win the whole tournament? Rich Krejci. I think he can maybe win the block. I think he's at least going to be there the final day. If we look at that August 11th show, uh, you got Naito versus Jay White. Like there, there's a reason <laughs> that's on the final show. And yeah. we kind of say it's unfortunate that if you, it'd actually be good if I didn't know the final few nights of the tournament, because then I'd have a little bit more of like, Hey, maybe this guy or maybe that guy. But like knowing that that's the final night, like, you know, those two dudes are going to be the players and it's probably going to be whoever wins that goes through yes most likely or there's some weird scenario where somebody you know they tied and somebody else goes through but most likely they, they don't do all that a lot of times they don't do all that bullshit a lot of times it's just going to be who wins goes through i feel like that match is 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 it and in my heart of hearts i can't see white winning that match i have naito winning that but i suppose i could see a scenario it's not it's not a 0% that he wins the block but i i'm probably a 25% because i'm very in on on naito being the block winner <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you think Kota Ibushi's winning the tournament, I could see them not doing Ibushi Naito again, and then Jay White going through. You see what I mean? So, because I'm convinced Juice is is getting his win back and knocking Moxley out. That just made I'm I'm a, I'm a hundred percent on that. So I do think it comes down to White Naito, and I think if Ibushi's the one going through, then I think that it'll be White against him and not Naito. But so I say he does have a chance to win the block, but I think either Ibushi or Naito are winning the tournament. Mm -hmm. So Goto obviously has no chance to win either. Um, I mean, who's he got? Let's see if we could even make a case. Who's he got on the final night? Uh, the final he night he's got Shingo. So, but there, I don't think Sh Shingo will have a fun tournament. I don't think he's going to be in the mix, though. Yeah, that match, the Shingo Goto match will mean nothing. And the Cobb it'll, it'll rock. It'll be fucking great, but yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's going to mean anything. Yeah. The Cobb Yano match will mean nothing. And Ishii Taichi, there's an outside chance that, like, if one of those guys win, they, like, stay alive for a couple minutes until they get knocked out later. But those other two matches aren't going to mean a thing. So uh, that, you know, Goto, uh, just hope for good matches with him. Yano. Um, we'll just do a hard pass there. There's no need to discuss Yano. Yeah, again, listen to, Yano. listen to the last five G1 previews we've done. The, the one thing I'll say about Yano that annoys me, and then we'll get off of Yano, is I don't like when people feel the need to overcorrect. Okay? I get that there's people who like watching Yano's matches, and I don't have a problem with that. Okay, I, I'm tired of them, but I get that other people. Yeah, enjoy and it. I don't universally hate them either. I go back and some listen of them to them. Some, some of them okay. I really like. Yeah, some yeah. I really like, but there's some of those. It's night eleven, and you're like, "All right, dude, <laughs> like I, I got no time for you. I'm just skipping." Like you see him take the turn, and you're like, "I'm done. I'm out." I, I've been watching. I've seen a thousand matches over the last two weeks. Like I'm, I'm good, man. I'm, I'm, I'm just done. But yeah, it's yeah, not universal it, that it's, we hate them. Yeah, there'll be one or two that I find mildly amusing, but it's usually the same old shit and. I, I'm someone who just, I'm a match nerd. I want to see great matches. And I don't have a problem if you're into Yano. The problem I have is when people overcorrect. Because here's what happens. Everyone bitches and complains about Yano being in it. And all of the people who don't like Yano. Because he's very divisive. And people should be able to understand why people don't like Yano. Everyone complains about Yano's presence. And, and bashes Yano. And, and makes fun of Yano. And then all the people who like Yano insist on overcorrecting. And you see a lot of stuff like, Yano is the best part of the G1. You don't mean that. 
you don't mean that Yano, you don't really mean that he is the best part of the G1. It's hyperbole. It's an overcorrection. And it, 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 it's a pet peeve of mine. Okay. You're annoyed that people are bashing Yano. So you have to swing so far in the other direction that you have to make an equally stupid statement right. and say that he's the best part of the G1. Or he's the only part I like in the G1. Everything else sucks. I love the He's the best part of the G1. If you really believe that, then you don't like the G1. Because you're, you're telling me that the best part of the G1 is the outlier who works a completely different way than everyone else. Then that means you just don't like the G1, which is fine. Okay? Or it's just an overcorrection. It's the same thing as when people say that the crust is the best part of the pizza. You do not mean that. It's just bread. It's okay to like crust. But you need to find a different way to say, I like the crust. How about just saying, I like the crust. You don't have to overcorrect and say the crust is the best part of the pizza. Right. If, if the crust is the best part of your pizza, then stop eating pizza. Because then you don't like pizza. You like breadsticks. Order breadsticks. You don't like crazy pizza. Bread. Get some little Caesar crazy bread. That sounds great. It's an overcorrection, and I hate it. I hate when people say the crust is the best part. You know what I say to people who say that to me? I say, okay, let's order a pizza. As a man, as a Jersey man, I cannot imagine how they yeah. get the blood boiling. But yeah, let's go ahead. let's order a pizza, and here's what we'll do. I'll cut off the crust and you could have that and I'll have the rest. You want to take that deal? No one in their right mind is taking that deal. If you do, it means you don't like pizza, which is completely different than saying the crust is the best part of the pizza. Do you see what I'm saying here? Everyone's choosing the cheesy goodness and the toppings over the fucking bread. Okay? So it's like I, I don't I can't take the overcorrections. Right. And you can and you can you can admit that the rest of the pizza is better, but also enjoy the crust sometimes yes, too. That's my, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. my point. Like if you like Yano fine, but don't overcorrect. Right. I, I guarantee you the Venn diagram. It's the same goofballs who go, the crust is the best part of the pizza. Yeah, sure it is. Okay. Then you just eat the crust then. I'll take everything else. Has anybody oh. taken you up on that ever? No, of course not. Why would they? <laughs> have, you, have you tried? How long have you, have you actually... Has it gotten ever close to anybody saying no. that they would join you? Yeah, no, no, no. they'll get mad. They'll get mad. Oh, you're an asshole. I'm just trying to say I like. Then just say you like crust. <laughs> right, right, right. Then don't tell me the crust is the best part. You try to put your money where your mouth is, and, and they don't want to yeah. do that because pizza's delicious yeah. and crust is yeah. fine. <laughs> I'm not the one making the hyperbolic statement here. You are okay. So give me the cheese and the onions and the pepperoni and all that shit. You take the fucking bread. Oh, you, you can keep the fucking onions, Joe. But uh, uh you know, crates with the onions over here. You get the idea, okay? So that that's what Yano is. He's the fucking crust. If you like it, fine. But don't sit here and tell me it's the best part because you're objectively wrong. And I, I can, like, every year the guy ends up, you look at any list, of the star, whatever you want to do, star ratings, uh, people ranking it. He's always on the bottom because people, even the people who like Yano, if they're being honest with themselves, eventually they get they get tired of the act, and you much rather watch fucking you know Naito and Okada or something go out there and fucking kill it. But anyway, Juice Robinson, final night he's got Moxley. Um, am I not giving him enough credit? Is he more than just a spoiler? And could that be a match that puts him into uh, contending for the tournament here? I don't think so. I, I just don't. Um... I think he's it's it's you're going to need somebody to take some falls in this thing and that's what we talked about last year with Deuce Robinson too remember when we all got kind of excited about him and I think it was he champion going into last year's G1 
I'm trying to remember what he there was yeah, something Jewish, where, yeah, and he didn't he, and he went like three and six or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. We talked and we talked about that yeah. last year. We were like, well, yeah. someone's gotta lose in this block. And like, yes, they protect champions more than not, but like somebody had to lose. And and I remember last year we were talking about, well, is he gonna be a contender? Is he gonna be in the mix? Well, he's a, he's a champion, yada yada yada. And then when it was all done, we we watched and, and they were able to sort of integrate his hand into the story yeah. and tell the story of you know, the reason he was losing is because his hand was hurt or whatever, which was good. It was a good way to, to sort of address why one of your champions was was losing a bunch. In this case, he's not a champion right now. They got the title off of him. And I think that's not the reason why they got the title off of him, but I think now this is a good opening for Juice to, I don't know three you know two three wins like is that nuts to say but no, someone's got to lose like someone has to lose in this this block I, I think juice will do better this year than he did last year i think people made too big a deal of him um only having three wins or whatever last year as u.s champion because i think if you put the title aside that's kind of what his slotting was at that point i think he's i think he's been elevated a little bit since then even though he doesn't have that title anymore and I think that last year he got off to like the 0 and 4, or 0 and 5 start or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they did the story with the hand, like you said. And then he made like the gutsy comeback and won a couple of matches. And I think people overreacted to his G1. I thought they told a nice little story with Juice. And, and you can't push everyone. Someone's got to lose some matches. And I didn't have a problem with him losing matches last year. I think this year he'll win more matches, even though he's not a champion. I think, I know that sounds a little weird, but, um, you know, I, I, I think. It, 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 I don't know. It could be a scenario where him and Moxley are both alive going into that last night, but then, you know, the, the, the Naito or White or whoever wins the main event ends up with two more points than than Juice, who who beats Moxley. You know, maybe Juice is two points behind everybody, ties up Moxley with the win, and then has the tiebreaker over him, and then he's the guy who needs a draw or something. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, the problem is I just don't understand how fundamentally you can do that because you have a guy like Moxley who who has to be sort of in the mix and, and get a bunch of wins. I guess yeah. Shingo takes more losses than we assume in, in this scenario. The yeah, someone has to. Yeah. Right, because Cobb, maybe Cobb takes more, but we just kind of laid out a scenario where he can do okay. Uh, Jay White is obviously going to go and do well throughout the tournament. Goto, I mean, <laughs> you'd have to really make Goto a geek uh, to have Juice still get as many wins as he's going to get. Uh, Yano, I, I think there's, yeah, he's going to be towards the low of the block. Maybe he, he's a guy who doesn't maybe I think one Yano, win the entire time. I think Yano's looking at between zero and two wins. Yeah, I think that's probably right. And then like Ishii and Naito, like I think both those guys have to be someone. So I just don't, I don't disagree with you that Juice is in a better spot than he was last year, but I just don't fundamentally know. I'm kind of doing the math in my head and I can't understand who he's beating. Here's the bottom line. There's going to be a couple people in this tournament who lose way more matches than we think they're going to lose. Mm -hmm. There's no way around it. You know, it's because like you're saying, someone's got, that's why I'm not confident that Jeff Cobb wins more than three or four matches. Cause he's the, he's a perfect guy for everyone to, to, to beef up on, you know, cause it doesn't matter if you beat him. So yeah. And that's why I don't think Taichi might not do particularly well. Cause you got to beat some of these guys have to get beat. And uh, yeah, it, it, this is such an intriguing tournament. Uh, more, you know, even more so than the last few years from a kayfabe perspective, it really is. So we go come to Ishii, who is always among the MVP contenders for the tournament, but is almost never contending for the tournament. Maybe one year, I think he was in the mix going into the final night, but usually he's eliminated by then. And who does he have this year in that match? I think we just talked about it. Um, he is against final night. Sorry, Taichi. let me scroll down. Taichi. Yeah, Taichi. So that that I to me strikes as Taichi beats him to knock to at least eliminate any potential Ishii in the finals thing. So I think he's going to be in the mix for this uh, at least this year. But he could be one of those guys that maybe we 
are are over assuming that's gonna <laughs> that we assume he's gonna do a little bit better, but might only have uh, you know a handful of wins and be in the middle mix. But that that Taichi match leads me to believe that he's at least in sort of the mix, but then Taichi beats him and then Taichi gets a future title shot or whatever. That, that's how I kind of read that scenario, but I could be wrong. That That's the match, aside from the big two, that's most likely of the other three to be meaningful for one or both of the guys, I think, if they do surprise us and really go hard with Taichi. And Ishii is the never champ. I mean, they can't... He's not going to go three and six. I mean, they're going to set up a, a never match or two for him, I think, but... um you know, it, it's the thing with Ishii, like always, is he's he's gonna have a bunch of. He always has a great match against Naito. He's going to have a. I mean, Ishii Goto is a lock to be a great match whenever those two guys get in the ring. I think he's gonna have a phenomenal match with Taichi. Uh, not Taichi. Uh, Shingo. I think he's gonna have great chemistry with Moxley. So I think Ishii is going once again. Juicy could have a great match with. Is once again in position to be the MVP of the tournament? That might be a better question. What do you think? Now, with the stacked A block, those guys have an opportunity for a lot of great matches. So I think it's actually, I would I would say someone coming out of the A block, if I had to make a prop bet, I'd say the MVP coming out of the A block would be like minus 125, and the MVP coming out of the B block would be like plus 130. I think it's more likely that the MVP comes out of the A block. But, Ishii, I think, again, is positioned to be right in that mix again. What do you think? I think this year particularly, too, because you look at matchups that Ishii can have. Ishii and Juice Robinson, that sounds awesome. Ishii and Goto, I mean, Jesus, we know that that's going to be good. Uh, Ishii and Cobb is another match that looks awesome on paper. Ishii and Shingo, another match that looks paper, uh, great on paper. And then fucking Moxley and Ishii. Man, I like, that has a potential to be awesome. And and then, of course, there's Ishii and Naito. And those guys are, are you know, they, the series of matches they had are some of the best ever. So, yeah, I'm with you on that, where, like, when you look at all the different styles in this in, in this B block and all the different things that guys can work with and, and, and all that sort of stuff. Like I mentioned Osprey on the A block where he can sort of adapt and work with every single style. I think Ishii in this block, like the perfect opponents are all there right for him. So I, I'm really excited to see what he does in this thing. And I think if anybody emerges from the B block as the MVP, uh, it, it, it's probably Ishii. And that's with that being said, I think Naito maybe peaks higher, but I think Ishii peaks more if that makes sense. Like I think across the board, Ishii's going to have like eight or nine matches that just rock. And Naito might have, as you said, three matches, three or four matches that are, are are really good and are in like the top ten or the top five when it's all done. But maybe Ishii does a little bit more across the board. Okay, so now someone we could really sink our teeth into, Naito. You think he's winning the tournament? I do. I still, I still do. I still think that's the best story to tell. I know what's weird with the IC title. I don't know how to get around that quite yet. I don't know what you do with that, but it's just. It feels to me it, it, it's the perfect opportunity to do it. I know that Kota Bushi's there, and I know Kota uh, is, is hot, but man, it's like the, the big dome show, the two shows, Naito's previous losses. Like he's, he's eaten a lot of L's this year, too. Like I just, I don't know, it just feels right for this to be the year for it. But I mean, I, I'm not 100%. Like I would be, I was 100%. Six months ago, if you asked me this question, I was 100%, 1,000%. No so what's doubt your, it's going to so be. So what's Naito. your percentage? I think now I'm, I'm probably 75. I, I, Think he's still so a where, favorite. Okay, but so where's your other twenty-five go? I, I think Kodobushi. All twenty-five. He, yeah, I think all twenty-five goes to Kota. I think those are the only two guys that really give any realistic chance uh, to win the B block. But the fact that I'm even thinking of anybody else but Naito is pretty interesting because, yeah, like I said, six months ago it would have been a thousand percent on Naito. But but I do think there's some doubt in my mind. You, you've creeped some doubt in there, and the IC title definitely makes it a little more weird to kind of figure it out. But I just think it, it, it all everything kind of lines up for it to be that year for him. So I I I think, and I kind of hope so too, because I think it'd be a pretty cool story to tell. I think I wish. 
that Abushi and Naito were in the same block. Because I think they're tipping their hands here. It's the, the, the G1 winner almost always comes out of the opposite block of the champion. Right. Because they don't want to repeat the same match. In other words, if you're picking Abushi to win the G1, that's fine. But then you have to remember that you're also picking uh, Abushi and Okada to have a rematch from August, you know, four or five months later in January. And that's harder to sell a match when you've just done the match. You see what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Koda, Koda and Okada will, will have happened, you know, <laughs> relatively right. recent, whereas Okada and Naito has not happened in, in, in a long time. That is, of all the matchups that, like, you're talking about Tokyo Dome main event potential, that would be the freshest. That That is absolutely 100% the most fresh match that they can do. So so when Ibushi ended up in the same block as Okada, mm-hmm. and Naito was in the other block, I kind of stepped back from, I, I started swinging towards Ibushi a couple weeks ago, just based on my gut. but. This may be tipping their hand. And as far as him being the, the, the IC champion, I, there's two schools of thought. He could just drop that title, um, or it could just be title for title. Why not just do title for title? At the I'd like it. That's cool. Yeah, I like I it. Don't, I don't like the idea of dropping the title because that sort of – I don't like what that says about the title. You, you still need to protect that title. It's still a money-drawing title. Why not just have the winner take both belts, you know, and then figure out what you're going to do, you know? And at that point you can, you can drop the title because then you're not really disrespecting the IC title at that point, because everybody knows the other one is the top prize. So it's the ultimate warrior thing. You know, when he beat Hogan, same thing. Um, You know, it's okay to drop it. Then you don't drop it beforehand. I don't like that. I've heard people float that out there. I don't like that. Um, So yeah, I, 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 I don't see why they wouldn't do title for title and then you know have Naito um win that match and and come really full circle from the loss two years ago and you know then he holds both belts, then he has something special to set him apart from Okada and and it, it just works on every level. But because you pick Naito, I'm gonna be different just for the sake of the show, and since I'm not since I've been on the Ibushi thing anyway. I'm going to pick Abushi and I'll I'll lay out my scenario when we get to him. So that's the B block. Let's jump to the A block. And we'll start with Kenta. Um, if you're picking Naito to win the G1, Rich, you can really pick anyone to come out of the A block then because it doesn't really matter. You don't need a big-time drawing opponent in that right. match because that event's going to sell out anyway. Um, you may not even want it to be a big-time opponent because maybe you don't want to burn a big-time money match. So this is going to be interesting from your perspective going through these because you can pick a number of people to potentially win the block. Do you think they think so highly of Kenta? We don't even know if he's coming in full-time or just for this tournament. We don't even have details on that yet. Um, that he can potentially win the block. What do you think? Final, do. Night, final night, Zack Sabre Jr. Yeah, I really do. I think when we look at the final three matchups of the the, the A block or the final uh, night of the A block, you got Okada, Bushi, Tanahashi, Osprey, and then uh, Kenta and Zack Sabre Jr. I think all those guys are potentially in the mix uh, on that final night, particularly Okada and Ibushi, uh, and and definitely I think Kenta and Zack Sabre Jr. are going to be in that mix there. Um, I think it's a great opportunity to do that for Kenta. I wish I knew, like you said, a little bit more clarity if if he's there full time. Is he just here for this month? Is this a trial run or whatever? But I say like. This is a great opportunity to just have him go through, 
build them up and 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 see what you got in this guy and 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 see if the crowd rallies behind him see how the attendance does see what kind of happens and 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 go from there because i think this every other guy i feel like i can there, there's other guys that I can see definitely winning it. There's other guys that I could definitely make arguments for, but I think one of the most, one of the more different guys and one of the more unique guys and one of the guys that, like you said, doesn't necessarily burn a match is Kenta. So I think it's, it seems wild. It might be wild when it's done. If Kenta has like seven points or whatever, which I don't think he's going to have, or he has eight points or whatever, which I don't think is going to happen. But I I, I think he has a, a real chance to win this block. I really do. Where, do, where are you at? I think Kenta and Zach will be eliminated. I think they'll be eliminated. Zach was eliminated like two nights before the final. Right. Match. Yeah. 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 Um, but I could see a scenario where one eliminates the other. But I- I'm gonna I'm sticking with Abushi winning the thing because I want to be different, and I-, I will walk through that scenario. So no, I don't think Kenta's gonna win the block. I do think he'll be treated with respect, and I do think he could be there's a chance he could be alive going into that final night. Um, now, Rich, also your gut. Does he have a good tournament or not? My gut right now is yes. I think he does. Um, my brain is kind of like, hey, are you sure, man? Are you? But my gut says no, he, he, does. I, is I that think your, he does. Is that your heart or your brain saying that? I don't know. I don't know what's saying. <laughs> but because I want I, him to I, have a great tournament. I want him so to kill I. it. I think and we I all do. think he will. But I just still have a little bit of doubt in my head. I will go know right away, right? Because Kota Ibushi night one. Exactly. Yeah. He had some great uh, matches, man. He had some great matches, fat and unmotivated. So it's like, you know, if he stays healthy, I think that is to me going to be the biggest thing. If he starts wearing down or, 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 you know, he starts kind of the wear and tear kind of starts working on him. Like that could be a real issue. But I, as far as motivation, he feels motivated. I think he's in there with a lot of the right opponents. Like, I think all the makings are there for him to be good. It's just a matter of, can he do it is more than anything. I think he's got the motivation. He's got, he's in better shape. And I think all that sort of stuff, it's just a matter of, can he do it really is, is, is can he survive uh, the tournament? But I, I think if you had a gun to my head, you know, we always say the gun to the head scenario, which is very, very, yeah. very vile for just a wrestling thing. But uh, I would say gun to my head. He does have a good tournament. Yeah. I'm, I, I, he looks like he's in shape and he looks motivated. I really like the look in his eyes. I do. And then he had the false count anywhere match against Mustafa Ali, the four way at WrestleMania. He's got, he had some really good matches that no one was paying attention to when he was fat and when he didn't care. And when he knew his career was going nowhere, I think he has something to prove. I think he'll want to go out there and have great matches. And if his body holds up, I, I, I agree. I think that he will. So we'll see. Let's talk about Will Ospreay. I have a lot to say about this one. Cause this is like, this is so interesting to me because I think he can be anywhere all over the board. Again, it's going to be, it, it, look at this block. Where do you get your wins? That's number one. And it's like, let, let, let's look at this. Okay. So with Will, uh, I know Dave Meltzer said this and he kind of stole my thunder because he did his show before we did our show. I think he's losing the Lance Archer on the first night. It's in Dallas. They owe Lance Archer a debt of gratitude yes. for, the hard work <laughs> for selling this place out or, or at least selling as many tickets as humanly possible. Yeah, that for sure. And, and, and will already beat him. And it's like, I could easily see Lance Archer winning that match on night one. If that happens, I'm not sure that will Ospreay is alive going to the final night. And I think he's playing spoiler against Tanahashi. And I'm not sure there's anything wrong with that because I don't see where else he's getting his wins. He is 1 million percent losing to Kota Ibushi. 
He's not beating Abushi twice in a row. Could no. you agree with that? Oh God, no, 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 for sure. Okay. Um, I can't see him beating Okada. Now, I've heard people present the argument that he could beat Okada. I'm not sure people appreciate the gravity of a junior champion beating an IWGP champion. Yeah. And not only an IWGP champion, Rich, and a, an iconic IWGP champion who had the most legendary reign of all time, who, is the, who has been the ace and the top guy in this company since 2012. Do people not understand the gravity of that? That would be now listen, I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm not saying there's no chance it can happen, but I'm uh, people to me are being a little too flippant with the idea that Will Ospreay could just beat Okada and set up some fucking title match at King of Pro Wrestling or whatever. That would be one of the considered in canon and in kayfabe one of like the biggest upsets in company history. Right, it'd be wild. It would be the yeah, <laughs> it is it, unprecedented. Um, unprecedented. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. That <laughs> it's a is, lot. You're really asking a lot for right. them to book that. In my opinion, can it happen? Let me tell you. Let me just put it to you this way, okay? If Will Ospreay beats Okada in this tournament, I have no. I I am one. 100% certain he will be IWGP champion at some point. That that shows me that they are they are behind him as the top guy. Right, right, not right. Not just the main eventer. Yeah, within the if, calendar year, this dude's winning the fucking title. Rich, you just said it. Jushin Liger's been in this tournament and scored three points. <laughs> right. Jushin Liger! You're telling me Will 2001 Ospreay, Jushin Liger, too, who was a fucking god at that point. Nobody could beat him in the junior division. You're, you're telling me this guy's going to beat Okada as a junior? Do people realize how hev how the gravity of that? I'm not sure that they do. If he wins that match, they see him as potentially the biggest star in the company and a potential IWGP heavyweight champion. There's no question about it. They're not. That is not. That is not a flippant booking decision. That is not something where you look on the sheet and go, ah, we need another title match for fucking power struggle. All right, Will can beat Okada on night six. That's not how you handle <laughs> right, that. No. This is a that would be this would be a monumental outcome. And I really want to stress that as strongly as possible to the listeners. It really is unheard of for, for, for that outcome to occur. Uh, so I, you know, so you look at the he's losing to Ibushi. If he loses to Archer, um, where and, and if he's losing to Okada, where are the wins coming from for Will to be alive getting into that? Because the rest of them are coin flip matches. It's tough. Yeah, like even like a Bad Luck Folly match is hard to, to say because, you know, Bad Luck Folly's a monster. And like, yeah, he fucking stinks and I don't want to see him. But I get the justification that, well, like, oh, geez, Will Ospreay can't really maybe. And he beat him once already. So right. <clears throat> Are they going to have him beat Bad Luck Folly twice in a row? And I get it. He's not a huge push commodity. Neither is Lance Archer. But still. But it's still big heavyweights against a junior champion. Right. I think he can beat Kenta if we're being – like, I don't <laughs> – I wouldn't book that, but I think he could. Yeah, he could beat Kenta. Absolutely, he could beat um, He could beat Sonata. He can beat Evil. But those are 50-50 matches. Right. Exactly. I'm saying could, like not will. Right. You know what I mean? I, I'm not confident in, 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 in any of these as will. He can uh, even think, beat Zack Sabre Jr. But yeah, again, he, can, he can beat Zack Sabre Jr. And I think he can beat Tanahashi. I don't think – I think there's a 0% chance he beats Okada. Uh, I do – I'm with you on the Archer thing. I'm not going to say like 100% chance that Archer's going to win there. But it's it, it's tough. Like any of the coulds, he's not going to beat Abushi. He's not going to beat Okada. 
And yeah, the other guys that he maybe beats is like, you know, a Tanahashi, your evil Sonata, and your bad luck follies. But even those are, are like you said, coin flips. Like I can easily, evil can beat Will Ospreay, and it wouldn't, it, I wouldn't bat an eye at all about that. So the thing about Archer is before the tournament started, it looked like an easy two points for Osprey, right? But now the way it's worked out, first night, Dallas, it's like, that's two points to me that could easily be off the board for him. And every point is sure. going to be critical in this block that has four megastars and whatever the fuck they think of Kenta. We don't know what they think of Kenta. Kenta could finish with fucking 12 points. I don't know. He could finish with eight points. So it's like the block is just so loaded. You know, Evil and Sonata are going to get theirs. You know, I don't think they're going to be contenders, but they're not going to fuck. They're not going two and seven. So this block is just so jam-packed that if if Will Ospreay loses to Archer, I'm not sure where he gets the points to be alive going into the Tanahashi match. With all of that said, that's why I think he goes into that match eliminated and as a potential spoiler for Tanahashi to set the deck for the Okada Abushi winner. What do you think of that scenario? I think it's good. Yeah, I, I think you're right on the money there. Okay, so uh, that's Will. He's going to have a wild tournament. He's another one of these guys. I think uh, Moxley, Shingo, Kenta, Will Ospreay. I mean, I am so fascinated by how those guys are going to be booked, those four in particular. Um, Lance Archer, first tournament since 2014. He had the killer match against Will Ospreay in the New Japan Cup. I, first this, okay, we don't think he's going to win the tournament or the block. No, yeah, 0% there, but that's fine. So let's talk about this. Rich, I really think he's going to have a great tournament. I think, oh, yeah. I no, I think people look at Archer and maybe go, yeah, no, dude, don't. You you obviously don't remember. I mean, we we would talk about those. If you go back and listen to old you know G1 recaps from 2014 and 13 and whatnot, he was one of our favorite parts of that tournament because he would go out there and have awesome matches, similar to, similar to like a Carl Anderson type before Carl Anderson obviously moved on and whatnot. He was a guy that would sort of surprise you with these tournaments and just have really, really great singles matches and really stand out in these tournaments. And I think there's an added bonus too that, you know, as you reported on, on, on the Patreon side, patreon.com slash voice of wrestling as well, uh, with Davey Boy Smith kind of out of the mix, Archer's kind of on his own now, and now it's time to really stand out, really show himself. If you don't think he's going to go out there and do what, everything he can to get attention this entire tournament, you're out of your mind. And it's like, even when he wasn't going for, you know, overt attention to be a single star, he was still having great matches with a ton of different wrestlers. So I'm really excited to see what he does this tournament. He Here's the thing. He's a singles wrestler now. They just introduced a new finishing move for the guy with like that claw slam or whatever he's doing. I don't know what he calls it, but it's like a claw, a giant claw slam. Uh, that's even more sort of to me ammo that he's beating Will on the first night. I think they come out and establish him as a new heavyweight monster. He wins with his finish. He gets the win back from Will beating him the first time. The other thing about the first night too that we we ignored, Kenta's opponent first night is Abushi. Okay, we talked about that. But this is Kenta's first match in New Japan. I think he's beating Abushi the first night because you need to establish Kenta that he's credible right out of the gate. And you can't do that if he loses. And you want to establish that he's a credible threat and you want to establish whatever it is he's going to use to finish guys off, which we assume will be the go to sleep. But I guess it's not a lock. So I think as far as the first night goes, I think Kenta's beating Abushi. I'm very I'm 90% confident in that. And I'm about 75% confident that Archer is beating Willow Spray. And I agree with you. I think he's going to have a good tournament. He's another guy who I think is super motivated. Um, he's a guy who wants to get a push, you know, and this is his opportunity as a singles guy to potentially get one. And, um, you know, he's out there. He hustled every weekend at every indie show in Texas for two months 
uh, trying to sell these G1 tickets and he's a company guy and I think they appreciate that. And I think the, he's a hard worker and he has the right opponents to have great matches. Uh, bad luck folly. Do you agree with my assessment that he's the worst wrestler in the tournament? Yes. Yeah. Cause Yano was like, you kind of whatever with him, but I think if Yano wanted to have a better match, he probably could. And whatever Yano does is better. Bad luck folly just fucking stinks. He's been he's terrible hard. for two years now. I didn't even really like him that much when he was quote unquote good. Uh, he'd have yeah. one match per tournament that I actually enjoyed, but most of the time I, he was absolutely skippable. Last two tournaments, he's been absolute bullshit, and the last year was like an embarrassment that he was even in this tournament. I am, I know you got to put him in there, but I would like Joe. When you, if, if we talk about guys that are out of this tournament, obviously Minoru Suzuki, a huge loss from, from the tournament, but I get it. We'll, we, we can talk about that if we We're want. We're gonna do snubs at the end there. Yeah, yeah but like a Togi, if, if you told me, hey, you have you have two choices for the last spot of this tournament: Togi Makabe or Bad Luck Fale. Joe, I'm taking Togi Makabe a thousand times. I, it's not. It's not even a discussion. And that's I bad because I don't like Tokimakabe at all. I think he sucks. But Folly is that horrible now. Just low effort, and that's the thing that gets me: low effort. He's not even trying when he goes out there. He, it, it, it's a gimmick to him. He wears he wears fucking shirts that say "I don't give a shit" or whatever the hell that. What, yeah. did, what did that shirt last year say? It, it didn't matter. He fucking sticks. He's awful. He basically was wearing the equivalent to the "Pin Me, Pay Me" Job Squad shirt, but his was like, uh, it was the same idea. Which I would have fired him for, honestly. I, I I have no tolerance for that kind of stuff because um, I don't think it was a New Japan uh, marketed shirt. No, it looked like his own. His own if it if it was, they should be embarrassed. I mean, that's a disgrace if they're marketing a shirt that basically says this wrestler doesn't care whether he wins or loses. That's awful. Um, yeah, I mean, in a dream scenario, they swap him out with they put him in the B block and Goto in this block. You know what I mean? Like that'd be fucking phenomenal. Uh, but th that would make the A block basically perfect. Like if you put Goto or Shingo in his spot, <laughs> yeah, you know. But Goto more realistically because they're kind of slotted similarly, you know. And you don't want to put Shingo in there with with Osprey, but yeah, Fale sucks. Um, he's gonna have awful matches. I think if you get one or two um, decent matches out of him, then it's 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 a bonus at that point. I think that's the best you could hope for. Yeah. Um, Sonata and Evil, let's group them together. They're going to have a match against each other, and they've been teasing some, uh, some friction in LIJ where Evil didn't do the fucking fist gimmick with the rest of them. Like, Shingo's like, come on, guys, let's do the fist thing. And then Naito puts his up, and then Sonata thinks about it and then goes in, and Bushi, who cares about Bushi? And then Evil, like, hopped out of the ring and took off. I don't know if you saw that. So... Yeah, they're trying to pour some gasoline on the evil Sonata fire. I get it. But um, do you think that's just it? Or do you think that this unit is getting a little long in the tooth with its original members and maybe there could be some movement between I do. I, I really do. And I think this is it's a good time to do it. You know, we talked about Shingo. Eventually, he's going to have to either move on or or ascend to power of the of the unit. He's got to do something. You just can't have that guy just kind of floating around there. And I think it is time that that Sonata, we've seen that there's a lot of potential, I think, for him as, as a big-time babyface star. Uh, and Evil is a guy I think that you can can keep heel, but I I don't know. I, I there's just like yeah, Shingo and Sonata are two guys that stick out to me. That like, ah, do they really need to be in this stable anymore? Do they really well, need to be in this well, anymore? Well, here's the thing: if the if the idea is to eventually move Shingo up and maybe keep him in Lij, do you need all those heavyweights? Right, and that might be a scenario where you bounce Sonata out and Shingo moves up. For the and then right, yeah. and then that solves your Shingo Hiromu problem. Right, right. Hiromu yeah. comes back in as the top junior, and then Shingo replaces whichever one of these two guys leaves the unit. So, I don't know. They've just showed some friction between them. Now, I see both of these guys 
as middle of the pack dudes here that are going to go either four and five or five and four, um, not have much impact in terms of the end result, which shows you kind of how deep it is. Cause these are guys who were a threat to go like, you know, six and three in past years, maybe even seven and two, but this year, the way the blocks are lined up, I can't see these guys competing. If you look at their Budokan hall opponents, it's uh, Evil's got Lance Archer and Sonata's got Fale. So neither one of them are going to be in a meaningful match nah. uh, by the time the final night rolls around. So are you with me, like four and five for these guys? I think so, yeah. I mean, you got to protect them to some level, but not not too much because they're definitely the lower, a, a rung below a lot of these other guys we're going to talk about here in a sec. Yeah. Who finishes? We're getting into the four big guys, so it's a good time to talk about this. Who finishes last in this block? Probably bad luck folly. But you think they're gonna hang him with seven or eight losses? You, you think kind of have to, man. You know, like who if it's not him, I mean I hate to say it, it it's possibly Will Osprey. But he's the ch it's so weird though. You know what I mean? Like that's why I don't understand how the booking is gonna go with him, but I don't know who else. I mean Is this a year? Okay. Is it like like are we are we working ourselves into a shoot and, and I, I I don't know. Let me present it to you this way. Is this a year where like Everyone goes six and three, yeah, at the top, and then everyone goes three and six at the bottom. Like, so. are we getting like super parity booking in this G one because of how stacked it is to where block winners are like six and three with tiebreaker wins? I could really see that with the A because it's just it's hard to it, it's hard to figure out who's who's a leaps and bounds. Like, yeah, you could say Okada, uh, Tanahashi, Kota, Saber. I mean, I guess maybe Tanahashi if he's that hurt, they can really. But I don't. I don't buy that he's going to be towards the bottom of the block. Like that seems. Is this a good year to do ultra parody booking with how stacked it is to increase the excitement going down the stretch? Maybe I think so because I think you have five or six guys in that A block that have a real potential chance to win. Like I, I, I'm not discounting like a guy like a Kenta winning the block. I'm not discounting a guy like a a, a, a Bushi. Obviously, I'm not discounting a, a Saber. I'm not discounting Okada, and I'm really not discounting Tanahashi until the time comes. We know for sure. So it's like five guys that I think legit have a chance at winning that block and that that's more than in, in in most years so i think you're gonna get a lot of parody with those guys and by virtue of that like there has to be parody on uh, up and down the, the block unless one dude is just taking every single l but like there's not one of those guys here would They're, it would it stun you if willow spray and shingo both finish last no would that be counterproductive to the idea that they're trying to groom them both though or would it not matter would it be would the fans just see that as okay they're not quite ready. They were gutsy. They picked up a, a big winner too. Or do you think that that would be counterproductive and that uh, it would kind of undo all the work they've done building those two up? That's why it's so weird to have them in here. Like, Isn't this tournament awesome? I don't know. I, mean, I like. I would have them fucking win a bunch because I think. But like, you can't because there's. I don't know. I would. I do think I would not have them come in here and just get fucking jobbed all the heavyweights because it just makes it seem like oh well okay they're second class citizens yeah. And you're trying to build these. We know that the scenarios, both these guys are getting moved up. So it's like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what you do. I don't want to be Gato right now. I don't know. I don't know who loses. I guess maybe Archer and Fale lose a bunch, but I, I don't know. <laughs> it's because I don't have those guys. I do not have those guys finish last. I think the optics of that is, is, is terrible. So I would not do that, but I don't know. Okay. <laughs> so I got to make my case for Kota Ibushi, right? All right. Yeah, do it. So you got to get around the idea that he's going to then face Okada twice in the span of four months. So, and he's got to somehow come out of the block. So how about, um, 
how about a scenario where he draws with Okada on the final night, which means we don't have a conclusive winner in the match, which kind of would give intrigue to then doing the match again in a couple of months. So do you think a draw could be the way that they get around doing a rematch? In other words, you know, we still got to figure out who's the better of these two guys. Mm-hmm. I suppose who, who, who then in your scenarios is Abushi drawing to go into the final? Uh, let's yes. Okay. So let's say Tanahashi beats Osprey. Okay. He's waiting in the fucking corridor and he needs, you know, Okada to win or whatever, or, or whatever. And, you know, he's now tied with Abushi at this point. They're tied with Abushi going into the final match, but he has the head to head against Abushi, let's say. And Abushi and Okada uh, fight to a draw, which puts Abushi through because he's two points ahead of Okada still, and he's one point ahead of Tanahashi now. And then he goes on to win the final because the draw doesn't then, because then, you know, you don't automatically have to give him a title match off of the draw. And he's got the briefcase so he can, you know, declare that he's challenging Okada at the dome. So anyway, he gets through with the draw, which then leaves some intrigue. Okay. As to who is the better man, I don't hate it. I just, yeah, I, I, I like it. If if there was any scenario to get Abushi in there, I, I I don't mind that one that you have there because you do have to figure out a way to make it. Okay, yeah, you just saw this match, but we didn't, we don't quite know who's gonna like. Now this is for all the marbles, and there has to be a winner and that yeah, sort of stuff. So the, the problem with you just saw this match is one of the guys won it, right? Because why do I want to see that? Okada just beat him, or Abushi just beat him. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's like. If a, you know, it's like if you do a draw, though, then you you know there's there's and you do it the right way, then there's some intrigue for the rematch, and you can build your story off of the draw. What do you think about this? Because this is the scenario now that you kind of played it out. I I like the idea of the draw, and I like the idea of Ibushi making it in to the draw so that you have a future matchup between Okada and Ibushi. But what do you think of the idea of of Ibushi does make it to the block? He he draws whatever. Uh, Whatever scenario, he wins over Okada, he draws versus Okada, he makes it to the B block, he makes it to the finals, and then he loses to Naito. Naito obviously gets you know the second win over Ibushi uh, in a row, and, and Naito moves on there, where Ibushi gets really close, he's maybe got a protected win against Okada, there's at least a little nugget of, okay, when they want to go back to this, they can. I just, for me, whatever reason, I just can't get down with Ibushi winning the entire thing. Like, I, I, I don't, your scenario is pretty good, I just, for whatever reason, my brain is just stuck on Naito. If Abushi's not going to win the tournament, I don't think he should win the block. Because I don't think I would do Naito and Abushi in the again. I mean, they just did it how many times? Now, the counter argument to that is you burned it so many times, the perfect place to do it is when it doesn't have to draw. But I just don't think you go right back to that match. So I think if Abushi comes out of the A block, I think he faces White in the final. But then it becomes a question of what yeah. do you do at Naito in the dome? Right. Where there's other things you could do with Abushi. And that's why so, that's that's my initial thought is that like Abushi, it's good that he's in he's he's in tow right now. You got him signed, you have all that sort of stuff. He's hot right now. But I think he's gonna be hot next year too. To me, next year is the time yeah. when you really build him up as like he has a killer year, does all whatever he's gonna do. And not that he hasn't had a killer year right now, too. Again, like I don't think it's a zero percent. I I like I said, I'm there's two guys that I think emerge from G1. It's either Naito yeah. or Abushi for me. And I'm gonna Bushi at 25 and I'm at you know Naito at 75. But like it it's just to me, it's a little weird and a little wonky. And I just I like 
I like next year for him because I feel like Naito is just if if he doesn't do this, I'm really worried about what the hell the future of Naito is because he's just kind of floating in this abyss now. And is he just his peak as as an IC champion? And I think that may be wasting his his peak a little bit. Yeah, this is where the 2020 Dome is the one we circled all along for the completion of the Naito story with Okada. So, you know, that's the scenario. That's the chalk scenario that makes the most sense. And you're right. Abushi will still be there and he'll still, you can still keep him hot moving forward. So if we're working under the premise that Naito is winning the tournament and is the challenger at the dome, um, then who would be the a block dudes to beat Okada to set up challenges between then and now King of pro wrestling, maybe one other. Who do you see being? They're not going to do Tanahashi again. They're not going to do Tanahashi. I think Jay White. Oh, no, sorry, not Jay White. Um, what the hell? Saber. Uh, Saber. I think yeah, that's that's who I meant. Um, I think Saber does. How about Kenta? I fucking love it. <laughs> I'm in, man. I think I Dude, you, think, you could see, you could sell me on Kenta blowing through this entire G1, beating everybody, and just fucking main eventing the dome. Like you could sell me on that right now. I'm. I'm well, let's excited. pump the brakes no, on that. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. But seriously, yeah, no, I could see Kenta beating Okada. And I have a, a, a title shot and wherever destruction king of wrestling wherever. I think Kenta going a respectable five and four, but beating Okada along the way is something we're going to see because I think Kenta versus Okada is a money match for King of Pro Wrestling. Yeah, I'm trying to... Uh, Mira Fuji, that was 2012 or was he... He was there more recently than Not that, 12, right? 12. It was like 15, 14. That's what I was... Yeah, let me find out when he was last. I think... Uh, maybe you're 15. You're right. And that was night one when he beat Okada. And then... Uh, he, 2016. 2016. So we yeah. finished with 10 that time. But he beat Okada uh, out of the gates. Right. I kind of like that sort of just do what you did for Mirafuji that year. Right. 2016 is that year. I, I like, I really like that scenario, the way they structured that. Yeah. So, you know, no one remembers that Marafuji went five and four or whatever. They just remember he beat Okada on. Like, right. And then they had a fucking killer match at King of Pro Wrestling. And I'm right. fine with that. That's the exact scenario I would like to do with Kenta, if you could. So Kenta comes out, beats Abushi on night one to establish himself, then has a nice little tournament, but gets the win over Okada. Loses to the other guys, loses to Tanahashi and and Saber and, and whoever else. And then he gets the title shot at King of Pro Wrestling. To me, that's the perfect scenario. Because I don't see anybody else unless you want to do see, you 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 could do a Bushi Okada camp, but then but see they face each other the final night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't go back to that, right? I mean, that that's yeah, it's a big match, and then it'd be it another big match right after that. Then, but what gets tricky about that is is then you have to have a scenario where Abushi like wins and either doesn't advance or then loses in the final. I think that's a little clunky. Not that they can't do it, but I think this screams Kenta as the big challenger for you know someone who knocks off Okada. And on the flip side, who do you see as a potential briefcase challenger for Naito if he's winning it? That's a little trickier because you don't have the big stars on that side. Mm-hmm. On the- yeah, I think Jay White, game. Jay White's probably maybe one. But then you got to beat Jay White again. And you're, right. you're, you're it's beating you're, him a lot. Yeah, you're beating they, him a bunch of times. And then he would have to beat Naito on the final. See, it can't be Jay White because he's right. facing Naito on the final night. Oh, that's true. Yeah, right, right. So you're even eliminating him. So who's your big briefcase guy there? I don't know if I see one because I don't think they're going to do Shingo. Um, do you do a Moxley match? Maybe. Yeah, maybe you get one more out of Moxley before he's out. 
before he's done. Um, he's I like actually, to- yeah, I like that a lot. I, I think. I, I wonder how does the does it work out that way? I think uh, if he could probably find a way to slip into one show. Yeah, well, he's got to lose the U.S. title at some point too. Oh, that's true. Yeah, they got two shows he needs for him. But once he loses. Well, One you know what? Those. You know what they could probably do. Maybe Moxley, if he's on that, if he's on that G One final night, maybe he has a U.S. title match against Juice on that. Like, you know, the, the the night of the actual finals, he has like a rematch with Juice or whatever. Juice wins the title back then, and then you can go and have him face Naito. But then he's he's losing a bunch on. But if he's out, then I don't know. Yeah, I guess that's, See, that's a lot of I, losing for him. I don't like losing that much, but if he's out, I, then that's the only way you can really do it. I have a hard time identifying a briefcase challenger. I mean, Goto would always be good for something like that, but I think he's going to lose a lot in the tournament. Mm-hmm. So Ishii, you don't want to. I guess Ishii could, but could, but he's a never champ right now, and I, it's it's weird, right? Like it's it's hard to identify one. Um. So so I don't know. Now back to the A block. Tanahashi always a threat to win the block, especially since he's got a big match on the final night. Mm-hmm. So you think he's got a chance to win the block? And be the Naito opponent in the final. What do you think? Yeah, of that? no, I, I do definitely. I mean, I never count Tanashi out on on G ones. He can look like absolute shit for two months prior. He can be quote unquote hurt, and then yeah, he just goes out there and kills it and wins a bunch of matches. So I, I yeah, I'm still I still think that he's got a pretty high percent uh, chance of 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 emerging from the block because, like you said, it doesn't matter. He can win the block and then lose to whoever in in, in the finals. So and, and Naito and Tanashi is a pretty cool match for the finals too. So I think there's a real possibility that, that happens. Saber would be perfect to lose in a G1 final. Yes. Not burning off a money match. The only problem I see with that is he's got Kenta on the final night. And you got to think the Tanahashi Osprey match is going to be the other important match and not the Kenta Zack Saber match. But I mean, it could you be could a, three. They could have three matches three. all matter. Yeah. <laughs> but now, you know, now you're figure, but now you got to figure out a scenario, okay, mm-hmm. where Saber beats Kenta and then. I mean, because are they going to position that match ahead of the uh, either of the other? I mean, Okada Obushi is the main event. Let's let's be honest. Okay, I know they don't give that out yet, but that's going to be the main event. So you're going to have to position Kenta Saber ahead of Tanahashi Osprey. I guess they could if Will's a junior, because otherwise you're having a guy win pretty early in the night and then needing a bunch of guys to lose, sort of to back in. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. To get through his block, just to get to the final. So I don't know. I think it's kind of far fetched. And then we've got, you know, Okada, who I think we can both agree that unless he's winning the whole fucking thing, I don't think he's coming out of the block. Yeah, and this year of all years, it's just, it, it, it'd be weird because you're, you're yeah. potentially blowing up two p- future matches. Like, that would just be silly. You don't need to do that. For, for Especially this year, you don't need to do that. And you, especially, we always say, you don't have to do that for the G1 uh, final. You can have your, your briefcase winner versus whoever, and it's not going to matter because they're going to have a great match and it's going to be sold out anyway. Uh, no matter what, so there's no need to burn Okada and Naito or Okada and whoever. Like, there's no need whatsoever to do that. So, no, I I, I put him at a pretty low chance of of, of winning the block. Uh, look, Okada is either losing or having a draw with Abushi on the final night, right? Because you're not going to put him in a scenario where a win doesn't advance him either. And I don't think he's advancing, so he's going to be in a win or you're in scenario, win and you're in scenario, and then he's not going to win. So he's definitely either losing or having a draw. With Ibushi, which means if Ibushi then does lose the final to somebody, but see, I don't think they're doing Ibushi Naito again. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's like I don't think it's super unrealistic that they do that they go back to their that match. I mean, I, I see what you're saying. Like I might not, but I I don't I don't know that might yeah, be. Yeah, it's possible because then Naito can 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 um, you know finally get a win over Ibushi. <sighs> 
like put him in the really put him in the rear view. You know what I mean? Like because it's to be the two wins in a row after the two wins for the other guy. You see what I'm saying? But it's like. Yeah, and like you're saying, then put him in the rear view. Yeah, but that, I, I think it's more likely than maybe you're. you're, you're it's maybe clunky, but that. I don't know how. You, but I don't know how you get out of it. So you might be right because the way it's all laid out, I don't know how you get out of that. Um, the only way you get out of that is if Naito doesn't advance and Abushi is winning the tournament. Right, right. Okada has to lose or draw mm-hmm. on that final night. They're not putting Okada in the final with Naito. <laughs> to lose. <laughs> yeah, unless they're not doing that match in that. They're not. They're. Okada Naito as the G1 final is as unlikely as Spadla <laughs> versus Shingo. It's not happening. Right. It's zero percent chance. So I don't know. It's are we overthinking? Is it just going to be a Bushi Naito again? I think so. I really do. I think. And and if you think about the heat of that, that's a that's a match that obviously you're not protecting very much because it's happened a bunch already this year. And this is kind of the big blow off. These guys have been at each other's throats this entire 2019, and and now this is for it. This is for the man who will put the other in the rear view and go to the Tokyo Dome. So I think there's there's a lot of ways you can sell that. Yeah, wouldn't wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, that's probably going to be it. I'll probably change by the time I do my, my bracket. And by the way, I should mention as well, uh, we are doing the pick'em again, uh, voicewrestling.com for details on that as we uh, we get there. It's not up yet. Uh, we're going to wait as <laughs> as close as we possibly can because we jinx people. And if we make the if we do the pick'em right now and we release all the results, fucking somebody will be done. You know, Tetsuya Knights will, will tear an ACL or something like that. Uh, so we're going to wait a little bit. We also have to kind of secure some prize sponsors. But uh, keep an eye on uh, at Voices Wrestling on Twitter and VoicesWrestling.com for uh, details on the pick'em. It is, it is coming again. There will be good prizes, but uh, not yet. We'll let you know when it when it's live and ready to go. So, Rich, we know what all the big matches everybody's looking forward to. Do you have any little sleeper matches in there? Some matchups that you have your eye on that maybe other people aren't looking at or or, or aren't going to be main events necessarily in any of the buildings? Because I've got a couple. Do you see anything, or do you need a minute to look yeah, at? Yeah. So, so a few that I look at the top of my head, and I kind of talked at, the, at at the beginning of the show. I mean, Kenta versus anybody, really. I mean, I think like Kenta versus Will Osprey is one that that. I'm oh. super excited for. I cannot wait. Uh, Kenta versus uh, Zack Saber Jr. too is one that I, I think maybe people because people are probably looking at Kenta and looking at Okada and Tanahashi and those big type ones and and, and rightfully so. Those are all incredible matches. But I think Kenta versus those lower guys as well. Uh, Zack Saber Jr. Is your Will Ospreys. I mean, I think those have potentially really, really, really good. Um, and then you know on on, on the B block side, uh, again, Knights of Ishii. That's not one that I have to really tell is a big surprise but again i think people forget how good those guys are and what chemistry those dudes have you know it's almost like once a year we see these guys fight and every single time it's like oh yeah these guys are like the best part you know dance partners in the world and that's going to happen again on this tournament i think that's going to be one to really look at for sure uh, i think juice and ishi is one that i also look at as well uh i've I really love what juice robinson has been doing uh, all this year so i think that's a really 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 fun match uh and john moxie for shingo i mean that sounds awesome right like that's yeah. just sounds incredible to see that the g1 rules there's so many fun new matchups in this g1 that's why i love new blood and new guys in this g1 six new guys just leads to so many different match opportunities out there but uh those are a few that i really look at as like ones that maybe aren't the top top tier matches but ones that i think uh have a chance to be really really fun i'm looking at shingo versus goto yeah oh yeah you know, it's like that's just gonna like, be men. That's just gonna be men's just that's flaring just arms. How man, how manly is sweat. that? Sweat, <laughs> yeah, just sweat and testosterone, <laughs> and and just sweaty balls and testosterone and just pure alpha greasy hair. Right? Yeah, just the hair is just dripping and wet of grease and sweat. Yeah, that's they're just like they want to. You just fight till one man is dead. You know, it's just it, 
you know, I, Goto Shingo is one. And just based on some some comp, comparable matches that he's had, I think Cobb Goto can be really good too. Based on the way that Cobb worked with Shane Taylor and the way that he worked with Hangman, I think Goto uh, fits that ilk. And those two guys, again, could just have, you know, the kind of match where they're both bleeding from the mouth by the end of it. And, you know, they do things that they probably shouldn't do. And, and they just, you know, Goto is just perfect for those kind of match. Goto Ishii, whenever they get together, is always a disgustingly good match. <laughs> yeah. and, and I just feel like Moxley and Ishii are going to have, I mean, that's not exactly a sleeper, but I just think that their chemistry is going to work. And then um, when I look at the other side, I know it's a semi-main event right out of the gate, night one. But enough people aren't talking about the history with Kenta and Kota Ibushi that's going to be flowing through that match when they get in there in Dallas too. You know, with, with can I tell you? Their... Can I tell you just how fucking jealous I am of that Dallas show? Listen, you've gotten the plenty of stuff that I couldn't make it out to. You went to All In. I, I had a birthday deal. You get Okada and Tanahashi and Ibushi Kenta. Fuck off. I know. I'm so. I, it hasn't really Fuck sunk you. in yet that I'm getting Tanahashi and Okada. I, I, you can I hear saw that and I got mad. I was like, that's stupid. They shouldn't book those two matches on the same night. Like, I got, I got upset. Like, I was like, no, that's stupid. This, this night sucks. Like, I just decided that night sucked and I'm not even going to watch it. It's going to be because I was just so jealous. I was like, oh, come on. Like, I've been going to all these shows. I've been screaming to the heavens for three years that I can't, Okada and Tanahashi needs You've to You've been the one screaming thing. about it. You've been the one screaming. And then you about get to see it. And I don't get to see it. So. Hop on a plane. I might. I might have to. Make it a one nighter. Fly in that morning. What is it? what day of the week is that? I don't even uh, know. July sixth. I want to say I hopefully not a Sunday. I think that's Saturday, right? Uh, yeah, this is Saturday. Yeah. Now for Glory's on Sunday, right? In the same city. I get, oh yeah, right, right. I was like, I don't know, <laughs> but yes, yeah, it is. So why don't you just fly in Saturday morning and fly out sa- fucking Sunday morning or Saturday? You could fly out Saturday night if don't, you want to buy a hotel. I, Joe, I, this is run through my head. Don't, don't don't tempt me here. We'll see. We'll see what happens. You know, it's it's there's scenarios that could be worked out here. Absolutely. You can even you can even come home with me Saturday night and fuck crash here and then fly home Sunday morning out of Houston or wherever the fuck or out of College Station, ten minutes up the road. There's scenarios we can talk about them. We can maybe work something out. <laughs> Because you're not even missing work. You're out of your own bed one night. Maybe not. Maybe zero nights if you just fly back yeah, Saturday. I could do that. I can, I, I'm, a, I'm a trooper. I think I could do that. Because this, I mean, fuck, man. I know. Kenta, <laughs> it's Kenta not even the Okada Kota Tanahashi. Ibushi. It's not even the Okada Tanahashi that I'm like. like it's, 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 it's hilarious to say, but it's not even that that made me mad. It was a Bushi and Kenta. I'm like, fuck off. God damn it. It's like, come on, really? Man. It's it's, it's you have to book both those in the same night, you assholes. Come on, couldn't that be in Nagoya in fucking two weeks? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> fucking Nagoya. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, fuck. It hasn't really sunk in. It's it's a big spot. And the Willis Papers Landshark, which will rock too. So, you know, and then Bound for Glory the next day. Yeah, right. I should just stay the whole weekend, right? Right. Fly can't home miss, Sunday night. Can't miss. Can't miss Bound for Glory. So the snubs, let's do that quickly before we move on to another. T- we got two more topics to do. But mm-hmm. um, So Minoru Suzuki, is this a case of a 52-year-old man who's just like, I don't want to do this shit anymore? Yeah, I think so. I think it was probably like, I, 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 I guess like they probably said, hey, and he probably went, eh. <laughs> like I, Because I, we know, we know from the guys that have been there forever and ever and ever that they don't, they're, New Japan is pretty, 
if you want to be in there, it looks like unless they really, really, really want to take you out, that they're not going to take you out. So it's kind of a, it might've been a mutual, like, Hey, we're looking at some new guys and him saying, yeah, go ahead. But, but I got to imagine he's not doing this kicking and screaming. I imagine that he understands and, and realizes, yeah, look, it's fine. Like, I don't, I don't need all these matches on my, on my resume. Like I, I'm good. Like I'm, I'm hurting. I'm old. I don't need all this shit. I'm, I'm good to go. So I, I, I think a lot of people are getting real negative on New Japan. I imagine it's a, it's a, it's a mutual thing between those two guys. I cannot imagine they just yanked him and said, fuck off. We don't care. And, uh, you know, they're turning it into a storyline where he's bitter about it. Right. Exactly. Which leads me to believe that he knew he'd get more traction on not being in it than being in it. So. Yeah, and listen, he hasn't been great in these things. Mm-mm. The last couple ones that he's been in, um, you know, he kind of his peak G one years are are firmly behind him anyway. Let me lump these two together: Satoshi Kojima and um, Togi Makabe. Tenzan gets the big, uh, you know, final G one. Nagata gets the big final G one. You would think that Kojima and Makabe, okay, they, I agree that they're both maybe a half step below those other two. Okay, Makabe, former IWGP champion. Uh, Kojima, former IWGP champion. You know, the whole Triple Crown thing at the same time. These are big stars too, though. Okay, does it surprise you that they didn't get a going away G1? Do you think that they would have if people like Moxley and Kenta didn't fall into their laps? Do you think that's what bumped them, or do you think this was the natural order of things anyway? No, I think that that absolutely bumped them. Uh, you, you know, I think those are guys that are, you always have in your stable and always ready to go if, if if need be. And and if anybody got hurt, those two dudes I think are are the first two that would probably step up and take that spot. But in this case, it's like, hey, look, we got young guys, we got guys we're trying to build up, we have the next generation ready to go. And and yeah, I, I I'd imagine that like where sh- where where Minoru Suzuki I think is probably a little bit more mutual. I gotta imagine like someone like a Kojima and a Makabe are probably like, nah, man, we're we're ready to go. We can still do this. And they're like, eh, yeah, we're we're gonna go in a different direction this year. I can absolutely see that scenario with those two guys because I think both of them do take uh, a lot of pride in what they do and a lot of pride in being in G ones. And and like you said, like all those other guys, uh, you know, Tenzan and and and, and Nagata got those like send offs and the real dramatics and all that sort of stuff. And these two dudes are just kind of kicked to the wayside and and. I guess there's a scenario where they come back, but it's hard to imagine them coming that back. That was so. my next question. Can you see Kojima or Makabe in it, you know, next Not year? Really? I don't know. I mean, like, is New Japan going to be less aggressive in, in talent acquisition and, and not go out of the way to to sign the best young talent in the world? Or are they going to say, yeah, you know what? Yeah, 50-year-old dudes are, are who we want again. This might be it. <laughs> like, I just, I can't see a scenario where, unless they're completely gutted uh, in, in, in one year with their roster, that they go back to those guys. So. I just think they're waiting on the wings in, in case someone gets hurt, but otherwise, this might be it for them. The shame in all this is Kojima can still go with any of these guys. Absolutely. We saw that in the Shingo match. And they did the storyline where he gave up his spot for Tenzon the one year for Tenzon's final go. Then he blew out his knee and missed it another year. But that like one year in between or whatever it was, he had that killer. Remember he had the great match against Okada where Okada worked heel? And, and and that was Kojima's last G one, and it was it may go down as as his last one ever, and um, and he was excellent in that G one, and I think with these stacked fields, he could have had a really a really great tournament. Um, it's just a shame. Do you think? How about this? Do you think Kojima, when he hand waved the Enochiism shit and he left with Muta, do you think that could be a reason why he doesn't get sort of the going away present? where the loyal guys like Nagata and Tenzan did. 
Do you think that plays in Maybe. there? Maybe. I probably don't. Or, or this new leadership that doesn't care so much about that. Anymore. Yeah, I gotta imagine the new leadership doesn't really give a shit all that much. I think it might play a small role in it because he's not like a lifer. He's not like a... I don't know if I consider... Right. If you tell me who's uh, it, it, New Japan legends, you know, guys, you know, Tenzan does come up, but Nagata comes up, though, those sort of guys come up. I don't know that Kojima to me is in it is necessarily synonymous with New Japan, you know what I mean? Like, I think he's synonymous with just being a great because, wrestler because he's not a lifer, he's right? Not a, he's not, a, he, he's and not he a did lifer. it in other places, he had great runs elsewhere, whereas right. like Tenzan is so synonymous, he arguably with had the, yeah, well, absolutely. And Kojima arguably had his best run of his career in all Japan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh no, for so sure. So you're you're absolutely you're absolutely right about that. So and I, just not good I'm wondering really if the, I don't think Makabe is good enough or as much of a legend to get like the the Kiri send off. Like I don't know, maybe he is. I don't know. He he held the he held the big belt. And, uh, you know he's massively popular and has been for a long time. So and he's younger than those guys to be fair. So these other guys are already fifty. You know what I mean? What's Makabe? Is he like even? Is he like forty-one or something like that? Forty? He's he's the, he's like Tanahashi's, uh, you know, he's uh, generation. He's more than, oh, okay, so he's in between. He's he's kind of stuck in between. Um, but, yeah. So I mean, he's got a few more years if they really wanted to do it with him. But I get what you're saying. I, I in my mind too, I think that Nagata and Tenzan are slighted are are slotted slightly ahead of Kojima. And Makabe in terms of New Japan hierarchy or or, or the the pantheon of New Japan legends, I, I don't disagree with that. Yeah. Um, here's a guy who firmly is not a New Japan legend. Yoshihashi picked up a bunch of wins over the last couple of weeks, and we thought that that was going to make him a lock here, and he's not in it. So what the fuck is the deal with Yoshihashi picking up a bunch of wins and in, in tag matches and, and shit like that? What? Can you make any sense of that? Or yeah, I, I think I talked about it a little bit last week that I think maybe it's just to build him up for that title match against uh, Saber coming up uh, for the uh, the British yeah. heavyweight title. That might have just been it, and it might have just been like, hey, we need him to at least like look like somewhat of a comparable you know challenger before he gets destroyed and, and tied in knots by Zack Saber Jr. So I think that might have been just it. Like I think you and I both thought that maybe it was leading to G one, but I think it is just leading to that title match. And then once he loses that, he just I don't know, <laughs> goes back and he's Yoshiashi again. I'll give you one more, and then we'll do stomping grounds. I'll give you one more. If Mikey Nichols hadn't shit the bed so badly... <laughs> well, no, I'm being serious. No, like, yeah. if, if he would have been impressive in the New Japan Cup and his run, but he hasn't been impressive at all. He's basically been very firmly below average. You think there's a chance he would have had a spot in this thing? I do. Yeah, for sure. I you think do? Yeah, I do, because I think that's a big reason why... I mean, you bring him in for stuff like this, right? You bring him in to be one of those guys. You bring him in to, to be like a worldwide guy that can sort of get Australian fans interested in, in, in the tournament and excited. And, and obviously he was brought in as, as yeah, a guy that, that should have been a difference maker. And it's clear it's not. And it's clear that they, uh, they know it too. And, and, and that they're kind of steering away from him. Cause I think, I think he absolutely would have had a part in this. I really do. Yeah. But he hasn't been good and he clearly doesn't deserve the spot. So so that's that. Did I miss anybody with these snubs, or I think we? I think that's it. Yeah, I guess Tomatongo, who uh, took himself out of the tournament. Yeah, we kind of knew it, though. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, and then other guys. I'm trying to look at last year. I mean, yeah, last year there's not really anybody else that uh, still in the company that that you would have thought I'd be in there. Everybody else pretty much got there. And then the rest of the tournament field is, you know, your guys like uh, you know Hangman Pages, your Kenny Omegas, and those sort of guys are all gone. So um, yeah. 
Okay, so uh, we got to do stomping grounds. First, a quick plug, patreon.com slash voice of wrestling. You should probably sign up now. There are 12 days left in the month of June. We got a bunch of great content uh, up in the month of June, but starting in the month of July, the daily G1 audio updates. Uh, is Craig going to make an appearance? I know you made an appearance last year for one or two of them. I did. I'd love to. Yeah, I'd love to. I had to hold the fort down. I think there was two weeks or two days where you couldn't do it, so I, I did it. But yeah, I, I'd love to be on it. So we do the daily updates. If you're familiar with what we did for the G1 last year or some of the other tournaments, most recently the best of the Super Junior daily updates, people really enjoy them. Uh, it's the most uh, intensive, in-depth daily tournament updates you're going to get anywhere in the world really i don't think anyone does it as well as we do it so that will start in july and obviously run through august so you're going to want to subscribe now if you do subscribe now and just let it carry over you could just subscribe today and then just forget about it let it ride for the next two months uh, to make sure you're in the door for the daily g1 audio updates uh we break down every single match in depth we break down the standings the scenarios the top matches of the tournament each show is anywhere from 45 minutes to about an hour and 15 minutes long and um and and people really seem to enjoy them so sign up that's the five dollar tier you're going to want to do the five dollar tier for that if you uh if you want to get in for those updates and then of course if you're on the five dollar tier that opens up everything else we do as well. Patreon.com slash Voice of Wrestling. Rich, are you hyped for Stomping Grounds? Joe, I am ready to kick ass and take names. Stomping Grounds streaming live on the WWE Network this Sunday. Let's start at the top as we preview this. The Beast Slayer, Seth Rollins versus the Shortcut King, Baron Corbin Universal Championship. Who you got? This is your main event. The shortcut king, Baron Corbin, challenging Seth Rollins for the Universal title. Who? This is what they've got. Wait, who's he challenging? Oh, the Beast Slayer, Seth Thank Rollins. You. I'm you. sorry, sir. The, the, the shortcut king, Baron Corbin, against the Beast Slayer, Seth Rollins. Yes, they're going with the shortcut king, Baron Corbin, as a, uh, as a, as a real main event player here. I guess because, to be fair... He's like the only guy on the roster that gets any kind of heat. Is that the idea here, Rich? I suppose, yeah, I don't know what the idea is. I haven't known what the idea is uh, for Baron Corbin. This is going to be studied uh, years from now. The random, needless obsession with Baron Corbin this last year is yeah. is is mind-boggling. Like The Jinder Mahal thing was one thing, but they got done with that in like six months, and he was back to just being whatever. This thing has gone on and on and on. Even after they publicly declared, this is the guy that made our ratings suck. They just went right back to him, which is just hey, excuse amazing. me, sir. It's the Majaraha Jinder Mahal. Oh, I'm sorry, thank you. It's the Majaraha Jinder Mahal. I forgot what they called it. <laughs> I thought they said, I, uh, yeah, I forgot. Get through one match. Can't even get through one match of this. Yeah, this is not um, going to be great. Uh, anyway, yeah, they're going to be uh, bursting through the rafters of the, the Tacoma Dome. So I uh, drove by the Tacoma Dome when I was in Seattle. At, uh, oh. It looked like a dump, but <laughs> I've heard it's not great, but hey. So uh, you don't expect a title change here. You don't think the shortcut King oh, Baron Corbin? Jesus, I don't know. I mean, maybe. I don't know what to believe with Baron Corbin anymore, man. They fucking love this guy. Um, I don't know. He, maybe the shortcut King gets a shortcut and maybe becomes the Universal Champion makes the most of this championship opportunity. Do you know that the advocate Paul Heyman was referring to uh, the Beast Brock Lesnar as the Beast Slayer Slayer a couple of weeks ago on Raw? 
because he was saying that the Beast Slayer Slayer Brock Lesnar was going to slay the Beast Slayer Seth Rollins. Right. That was an actual promo. Yeah. So if, if the Baron Beast, wins, if the Shortcut King Baron Corbin wins, man, oof. If the Beast defeats the Beast Slayer to become the Beast Slayer Slayer, and then somebody beats the Beast Slayer Slayer, are they the Beast Slayer Slayer Slayer? I think they have to be, right? Like, can Bobby Lashley beat it just keeps going, yeah. Infinitely. Can, he beat, can he beat the Beast Slayer Slayer to become the Beast Slayer 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 Slayer? Would it just get? I hope that goes on forever, and there's eventually a Beast Slayer 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 Slayer. That's what I'd like to see happen, but that can only happen if the Beast Slayer Seth Rollins retains against the Shortcut King Baron Corbin, and then the Beast Slayer Slayer finally cashes in the Money in the Bank briefcase that he won in the Money in the Bank ladder match at the Money in the Bank pay-per-view, right? He won, Yeah, he won the briefcase for a, a future championship opportunity, and he would have to cash that. He, he would have to, Mr. Money in the Bank would have to cash that in at uh, WWE Stomping Grounds, streaming live on the WWE Network this Sunday. So I'll uh, move on here. The Dreadlock Dynamo, Kofi Kingston versus... <laughs> Oh, God, the show-off, Dolph Ziggler. It's a steel cage match for the WWE Championship, as you talked about last week. You got to keep <laughs> the New Day out of this ring. The show-off, Dolph Ziggler, wants his one-on-one matchup with the Dreadlock Dynamo, Kofi Kingston, and he gets it this Sunday at WWE Stomping Ground, streaming live on the WWE Network from the Tacoma Dome. Uh, thank God, steel cage to keep those dastardly New Day guys out of the ring here. The, Dolph can, uh, the show-off, Dolph Ziggler, can get his one-on-one against the Dreadlock Dynamo. What do you think? I think you got to feel bad for the show off Dolph Ziggler. He got screwed at a, an event that was equal to or greater than WrestleMania Super Showdown from Riyadh Redacted. Jedi. So, it was from Jedi, I believe. Uh, okay. <laughs> and he got screwed. The Crown from, Jewel was from Riyadh, by the way. So. Correct. And Super Showdown, capital S, capital D, not to be confused with Super Showdown hyphen between showdown which of course took place in melbourne australia okay we have to differentiate between the super showdowns because there were two of those rich one with the hyphen one without the hyphen but the show-off was screwed at super showdown no hyphen from redacted when xavier wood when new day's xavier woods kicked him in the face so he demanded the steel cage match and this is all backwards but that's where we're at and the dreadlocked dynamo kofi kingston is gonna have to do it all by himself who do you like in this one, uh, I like the Dreadlock Dynamo, Kofi Kingston, but um, even I, playing I, field though, you it know? is an even playing field. The show off's got an even playing field here, but I, I'm still going with the Dreadlock Dynamo, Kofi Kingston. The New Day one. cannot take advantage of the numbers game <laughs> like they've been wont to do, so I, right. I still have Kofi uh, uh, winning here, but uh, yeah, to retain the WWE championship, I do, yeah, I do. Okay, what do we got next? Uh, we got the man, Becky Lynch, versus the sassy Southern Belle, Lacey Evans, for the Raw Women's Championship. Joe, is it finally time for the sassy Southern Belle, the lady of WWE, Lacey Evans, to win the title? Listen, all she wants to do is clean up the nasties. And, you know, I could I could understand, you know, she's not a fan of the man, Becky Lynch. So, um, but I still, I still have to think that the man, Becky Lynch, is going to retain the Raw Women's Championship here, especially after she lost the SmackDown's Women's Championship. Uh, some months back and was no longer Becky two belts. I don't think they're going to take the raw women's championship off of the man, Becky Lynch. And I don't think the sassy Southern bell, Lacey Evans is quite ready to hold that title. But do they think, do they think, do you think that the, the sassy Southern bell, Lacey Evans, do they think that she is ready for this championship? This is harder than it sounds. Um, yes, I think they're all in on the sassy Southern bell, Lacey Evans. 
So I'm not 100% confident that the man Becky Lynch retains the Raw Women's Championship over the sassy Southern Belle Lacey Evans. But um, I do think at some point the sassy Southern Belle Lacey Evans is going to be uh, the, the the top uh, women's superstar on, on the Raw brand. Yeah, I don't think it's now. I don't think it's this night because it, it does seem strange that Becky now goes from from nothing, you know, from from everything to nothing. Yes. But it wouldn't stun me, though. It, it wouldn't stun me. I'm oh. I'm I'm. I'm I'm not 50-50, but I'm probably 60-40 on, on Becky, the man Becky Lynch retaining uh, the Raw Listen, Women's title Rich, here. If, if the sassy Southern Belle Lacey Evans hits that women's right, then we could see a brand new Raw Women's yeah, champion. The lady of WWE could be the champion of WWE pretty soon, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, the Huggable One, Bailey, defending the SmackDown Women's Championship against the goddess of WWE, Alexa Bliss, who really, really, really enjoys coffee. I don't know if you know that, but she likes coffee. Are these real? The huggable one and the goddess. The huggable one, I, I is a shoot. I could I, not okay, believe right. it, but on the on the the most recent raw recap, it called Bailey the huggable one. So, which is it creeps me out even saying it. So I kind of want to finish this match right away because I just <laughs> I feel like I'm on a watch list for calling Bailey the huggable one already. Uh, yeah, but, I yeah. don't. I have no interest in hugging Bailey. I got to be honest. I no, I give her a hug, but you know, I don't, I'm I don't not want to sound like a creep. But no, I, I give I give Bailey a hug. What are you not into? It's a hug. I just I don't know. I'm indifferent on the huggable it's a one. Hug. Bailey. You give people hugs? Are you not a hugger? I'm not a stranger. She's a stranger. Why would I hug her? What about after a long conversation? Like, what if you have a, a a good long conversation with her? Not nothing. I'm not talking. Then she's not or a anything. Then she's not a stranger anymore. How is it any different hugging the huggable one Bailey than hugging I don't know someone who makes me a sandwich down at the deli? She's a stranger. I suppose you could give them a hug too. I'm for a hug. Would, I don't want to give them a hug. They're making my sandwich. <laughs> I don't know who they are. You know, I don't know. I have no interest in hugging Bailey. I didn't okay. think that would be uh, the, the huggable one Bailey. I have no interest in hugging the huggable one Bailey. I didn't realize that'd be controversial. But yeah, um, anyway, uh, does the goddess of WWE Alexa Bliss get the get the win here? What do you think? She's got to have a coffee name in there somewhere, right? Uh, let me let me clarify here. Yeah, I don't know if they've uh, they've added that uh, quite yet. I have I have five feet of fury. I have little Miss Bliss. I have the Wicked Witch of WWE, and I have the Harley Quinn of WWE as well. Wow, she's got a lot of them. But we're going with Goddess of WWE here. Yeah, I think that uh, the Huggable One Bailey retains. How about that? I do too. Yeah, I do too. I think that's probably better. I, is, can Alexa even wrestle? Is she even cleared anymore? Like she's she's on and off. Like by the time the show goes, who the hell knows if she'll be cleared because she has a. Uh, a lot of injuries, and they keep putting her in the ring, and they maybe should stop doing that. Anyway, uh, the big dog, Roman Reigns, uh, defends his yard against the Scottish psychopath, Drew McIntyre. So does the Scottish psychopath, Drew McIntyre, win the yard if he wins uh, Presumably, yes, or at least can, like, go to the yard. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if you right. – do you retain rights to the yard, or you just have an ability to be in the yard? Is the yard like the like the the king of the ring where you'd wear the crown and the cape? Like, can you win the yard? Is it something tangible? I don't think so. I think you just now can be on the yard. I think it's just like, oh, so it's more like the million dollar championship where DiBiase never really, where the million dollar man Ted DiBiase never really lost the million dollar championship. Right, right. Like right, until right. the end there when Virgil, I can't think of a where the the bodyguard Virgil finally won the million dollar championship from the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. But most of the time, the million dollar championship was not on the line when the million Correct. dollar man, Ted DiBiase competed in, in one-on-one singles act. Yes. At, at both, at, at both WWE live events and WWE pay-per-view events. Yeah. When Ted DiBiase would, would, would uh, defend that, that, that million dollar championship. Yes. So, so it's going to be the big dog's yard, no matter what uh, the outcome. Right. Is. But uh, does the Scottish psychopath at least get to be on the yard for a little bit? Um, well, I think the big dog Roman Reigns is going to defeat the Scottish psychopath Drew McIntyre. He better. I mean, <laughs> he lost to Shane. He probably needs a win back. So, well, of course, see, because the story here is the big dog Roman Reigns can easily beat 
the uh, the Scottish psychopath Drew McIntyre, who was a prime athlete in the prime of his career, but see, he just cannot get by uh, the, the greatest of all time, Shane McMahon. The best, in the, he, the best, best in the world, the best in the world, the best in the world, Shane McMahon. See that he can't do. He can't. He he can't beat. Uh, he can't beat him, but he can beat this uh, physical specimen in the prime of his career. That is going to happen. You know why? Because it makes no sense, and that's exactly what they're going to do. Uh, the Destroyer Samoa Joe versus the one and only Ricochet for the United States Championship. The Destroyer Samoa Joe, of course, the champion going into this match. Yeah, this has a chance to uh, be a great match, and I hope it's not another one minutes uh, Destroyer Samoa Joe special. Um, but, you know, he was taking on a very injured competitor the last couple of uh, pay-per-view events, and the one and only Ricochet is certainly built to go longer than a minute so uh i'm just hoping for great action here and a great match plenty of near falls too yes plenty of interruptions being done but no i'm pretty excited about this one uh to see where it goes too but i i i have the destroyer samoa joe retaining here uh it seems a little early for the one and only uh to win the title we have the dastardly heels biggie and xavier woods will not be able to interfere in the uh steel cage match for the wwe championship at wwe stopping grounds streaming live on the wwe network but they were are going to have a match against the prize fighter kevin owens and the underdog from the underground sammy Zayn. Yeah, it's that, <laughs> it's a tag match in between <laughs> the four people are in a tag match. What do you think? <laughs> it's a match that's happening. <laughs> I think it could be pretty good. I don't know what to say. I don't know. Um, it's a nice little undercard match between the New Day, Big E, and Xavier Woods, and the prize fighter Kevin Owens, and the underdog from the underground, Sami Zayn. Uh, and then our uh, our 205 Live, most likely the pre-show Cruiserweight Championship match. The premier athlete, Tony Nese, defending against TBD. We don't know who it is quite yet. It'll either be the stamina monster, Akira Tozawa, or the man who has never been more dangerous, Drew Gulak. <laughs> that last one might be fake, but that's fine. The, so, uh, will, will this be on the stomping grounds pre-show? <laughs> yes, it will. Only on the WWE Network. Streaming live on the WWE uh, Network this, uh, this Sunday. Will this be on the Stomping Grounds pay-per-view streaming live this Sunday on the WWE Network? Uh, I believe it'll be on the pre-show, not on the actual main show, but we'll see. Right, so we don't have confirmation of that yet, nor do we know whether it's going to be the Stamina Monster or the man who has never been more dangerous. (laughs) That one's made up. (laughs) They said it like eight times on on 205 Live commentary, so I think there's a possibility that could be a thing. In English, made it a point. He's like, ah, Nigel, you're right. I don't think Drew Glack's been any more dangerous than he is right now. <laughs> so they said it a bunch. So over and over. <laughs> what makes the point? He gets repackaged every week. <laughs> He's fatter, I guess. That he gets repackaged once a month, <laughs> and it's like not even. It's always something re- like he'll just like darken his beard, or he'll just change his tights. But the man is constantly being repackaged, and yeah, he's uh. A man who's never been more dangerous, Drew Gulak. <laughs> the stamina monster, for what, for what it's worth, is actually an old school uh, Akira Tozawa name. So I actually enjoy that one. That that, that actually goes back to this. The <laughs> they call him that, though. They yeah, do. they do. I'm glad they they of all the nicknames they've co-opted, they've co-opted the uh, the stamina monster Akira Tozawa, which I enjoy. So that is WWE Stomping wow. Grounds live on the WWE Network this Sunday, uh, streaming live. Uh, we will have a preview and review at uh, VoiceWrestling.com as well. So. All right, I uh, only got a few more minutes here, but we wanted to touch on these uh, n- recent Noah, a little trip to Noah, a little trip to the green mats here. You and I watched uh, some stuff from the Noah Masawa show. This is from the 6-9 uh, Masawa tribute show, which is now kind of making its rounds 
and yeah, I think we wanted to react. At least I saw the last two matches. What did you see from the show, and uh, what would you think of maybe the undercard? Because like I said, I did not see the undercard. Uh, so anything that I think I need to go back and watch, or any sort of highlights that you can say from the under. Yeah, so I'm just uh, I'm pulling a Dave Meltzer here, and I'm scrambling for my notes. Okay, I got my notes. Um, I did watch the whole show. This was the show from Cork and Hall Six Nine. The uh, the Misawa tribute show. This, of course, is now the the infamous show, Rich, where uh, Kenta showed up at Dominion in in Osaka um, several hours after this show ended on Six Nine. Six Nine was a big day in wrestling. There was a Dragon Gate show with a couple of title matches. There was the Laredo Kid versus uh, Vikingo match. This was all on. Oh, that was uh, same day. Yeah, yeah. All of this was on Six Nine, so it was a pretty crazy day uh, across the world of wrestling. Uh, but yeah, I will quickly, I know that uh, um, we're going to talk in depth about the semi-main event and, and the main event. I'll quickly go over um, with, some, with some short thoughts about the undercard. And the opener was uh, my favorite tag team name, Rich, the 50 Funky Powers. Of course, Muhammad Yone and Quiet Storm, and they teamed up with Rocky Kawamura. Rocky Kawamura, of course, is uh, a guy who bounces around the Indies. He does the boxing gimmick, uh, hence the name Rocky. And uh, this was, he was doing his comedy routine, and they defeated Akatoshi Saito, Maseo Inoue, and Mitsuya Nagai. Inoue took the fall in this one. Uh, it, you know, a lot of comedy from Rocky Kuwamura, and not much to add on that one. This, of course, was the Global Junior Tag League as well. There were three Global Junior Tag League matches, and then the first one there was a. Uh, Pretty decent upset here. Junta Miyakawa and Seiya Morahashi. Mia, uh, Miyawaki, I'm sorry, not Miyakawa. Junta Miyawaki, of course, is one of the um, young boy wrestlers in Noah. He's been there. He's only 22 years old, but I think he's been wrestling about uh, three or four years now. And uh, Morahashi, of course, is a, is a good veteran pickup they picked up. He was a longtime DDT wrestler who's now a solid undercard guy in Noah. And they upset O'Hara and Nosawa out of the question, our friend Nosawa Rangai in this one. Rangai was not taking uh, Miyawaki seriously, and uh, he was uh, basically uh, goofing around with him and, and Miyawaki with a series of small packages. It was four small packages in a row for near falls. And then on the fourth or fifth one, he actually scored the pinfall on Nosawa, and it got a giant pop from the crowd as the young boy uh, picked up a win over Nosawa in a, in a big crowd-pleasing upset. So that match was a lot of fun. There was an eight-man tag with uh, Atsushi Katoge, Kano, Masakitamiya, and Yoshiki Inamura. They defeated Chris Ridgway, who has been working Noah the last couple of tours, and he's part of this Global Tag League uh, tournament. Hitoshi Komanu, Katsuhiko Nakajima, and Shuhei Taniguchi. He is not Maybach anymore again. He's back to Shuhei. He'll probably be Maybach again in six months with the frequency that they bounce him back and forth from those gimmicks. But uh, that was an eight-man tag. And then we had two more global junior tag league matches, first of which was Hayato and Yohei. They're back together, Rich. They've been back together for the last couple of tours after they split briefly last year. They picked up a win over Minoru Tanaka and our friend High69 Hiroki. So Rattel's picked up a win there in a match that was uh, I thought was dreadfully boring. I was looking forward to that match because there was a bunch of people I really enjoy in that one. But uh, the match did nothing for me. Yeah, I haven't liked a lot of Minoru Tanaka lately. Uh, as I've been watching him lately, it's just kind of like, yeah, maybe this it, is... I love Minoru Tanaka. I've always loved Minoru Tanaka, but I've been saying it. Over about the past year or so, 
he has finally lost a step. He was one of these ageless guys, and he's still a good wrestler, but he's he's clearly finally lost a step. There's no question about it. Uh, he hasn't completely fallen off the shelf, but um, look, time waits for no man, and I believe it's finally caught up to him. And then we had another uh, Global Junior Tag League match before Rich will jump in here, and we'll talk about the top two. Katero Suzuki and Yoshinori Ogawa. They picked up a flash submission win with Ogawa picking up a flash submission over Daisuke Harada and Tarasuke. Uh, they went to nine points in that one, and I believe they uh, advanced to the final, and they took on, I think this was the last night to set up the final, and I think they faced Hayato and Yohei in the final. Let me double-check that. Kind of a surprise final there, I think, in Osaka. They wrapped it up. Yeah, it was Suzuki and Ogawa against Hayata and Yohei in the final in Osaka a couple nights later in the Global Tag League final. Suzuki and Ogawa ended up winning the tournament. So how about Yoshinari Ogawa uh, getting a little bit of a push here? That's an eight. Now, there's another ageless guy. I mean, that dude, he's got to be 50 at this point. How old is Ogawa? He's oh, my God. Let me. Yeah, let me see. I. I... Old rat face. Yeah, he's, he's, got... he's never been an attractive man, so it's hard to know his age exactly. Well, uh, it's, you know, if your nickname is Rat Face, you're probably <laughs> it's not, probably not uh, a good thing. You're probably not Robert uh, Redford. You know 52, what I'm 52 yeah. years old. Ah, uh, you know what? He's he's a good looking 52, I'd say. I mean, like I, as good as 52 can look. He's ageless. He's looked the same since he was 32. <laughs> I mean, like he kind of looks like the same. Yeah, he was 27 and he was ugly as sin. So you know, 52, he's not bad. Yeah, so they ended up winning that. That show has not hit tape yet, but I'm looking forward to that show too. But uh, before we jump ahead, we got to talk about the top two on this show. First up was Go Shiozaki. Rich, after nine tries across two companies over 15 years, Go Shiozaki finally defeats Naomichi Marafuji in a singles match. So this had historical implications this is a you know one of those deals where this was an opponent that shiozaki just had never defeated seven times in noah once in ring of honor could you imagine if gabe would have inadvertently fucked that up i doesn't even know you just gotta I, mean, I have to think that they they may have ran that by the noah office first before he decided to book that out but who knows because at that point in 2005 when they were on like their third or fourth match maybe that wasn't a thing that right no right it's like about. i always say with the undertaker streak like it would have made all the sense in the world to have giant gonzalez beat undertaker at wrestlemania 9 you know what i mean <laughs> it would have been like yeah. yeah well i mean he's only like fucking who cares about a streak it's like you, nobody thinks of that at that time but then like you know it wasn't until 10 years later we're like oh holy shit he hasn't lost yet like perfect all right there we go so you can totally see with three matches in it's just like yeah we'll have, have you know, I have Marafuji win or have, have Shiozaki win. Who cares? So, right. So, it may not have even, they may have like, they made a thing of it in recent years, but maybe they're lucky that that Ring of Honor match turned out the way it did. They may have just ignored that result, though, honestly. You know, for Noah's own personal canon, they may have, but it worked out anyway. The point here is Shiozaki finally gets a win over Marafuji. Um, I got to tell you, I didn't like this match. Nah. I thought it was flat. Uh, I thought it was hard-hitting and snug. It was a battle of chops versus lariats. But um, the, the the finish, I don't think they peaked the finish very well at all. It felt like the crowd wasn't ready for the finish. Um, you know, and, and not just because they didn't go on a closing stretch or anything like that. It's just two veteran wrestlers like this who I think 
are better workers than they showed here in constructing this match. Um, just did not have the crowd ready for the finish, and that's inexcusable because it just kind of ended out of nowhere and it, caught a, it kind of caught the crowd off guard. It caught me off guard. Um, it was a well-worked match, I guess, but it was really just a battle, like I said, of stiffs, lariats, and, and, and clotheslines. Marafuji just is not interested in working hard a lot of the time anymore. His body is broken down. He's hurt. I get it. Um, you know, he doesn't want to be in the championship mix anymore at this point. Um, he's the kind of guy who he's going to go out there and have matches like this where he's not taking a bunch of bumps. And to kind of hide that, they're just going to do, you know, stiff uh, strikes and, and things of that nature. And, you know, it, it's a match that on paper, the idea sounds good, but I don't know. To me, and you can tell me what you didn't like about it, I thought they just didn't peak it well at all. And it just, it, it, the finish came off flat. And the match itself uh, never really gained any kind of momentum. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Is It's like, you know, I was I was sitting there and they're, I mean, they chopped the fuck out of each other in this match. It's chops, it's Larry, it's, it's chops. And, and Shiozaki's selling his shoulder a lot. And he's doing a great job of selling the shoulder. And, and I'm really, you know, 15 minutes in the match, I'm into this. Because I'm like, all right, cool, we're escalating this. You know, both guys are, are, are bleeding from their chest. Shiozaki's grabbing his shoulder. Like, we're ready to go. And then, like, Shiozaki just kind of does a few... I think he does a, a tiger drive or something. It, it just does a few little moves here and there and then just like pins him. And it's just like, oh, all right. Like he pins him with the lariat. It, it, but yeah, he gets a lariat. He picks him up. I think he hits him with another lariat. And then he just like kind of pins him. And it's just like it didn't it didn't feel like we had the escalation. It didn't feel like we had a bunch of stuff ready to go for. And it just kind of felt and the crowd sort of felt that way, too, that it just kind of came out of nowhere, which is is wild because, you know, there was a point where Shiozaki looks like he's dead. Like he's just absolutely done. Marifuji's just been working him over, working him over, working him over. And then Shiozaki just kind of like pops up, hits two lariats and pins him. And it's just like, oh all right like it's just the comeback just didn't feel like i was engaged and the crowd didn't seem very engaged either so and like you said knowing that the, if it was just a one-off match it's like yeah whatever man you know she was like came back and got the win but knowing all the history behind it it just it needed a little bit more juice and i don't think it really ever got there a lot of good chops, a lot of other stuff like that but it was just like all right where's the next step and they never the next step was the match was over so good stiff work but you nailed it didn't have any electricity didn't have any juice and I didn't feel like it didn't come off like a historical win like it should have. It didn't come off like this huge, finally getting over the hump sort of moment like it should have. And I think part of that is because it didn't have that escalation and it didn't peak uh, very well at all. And it's very disappointing. But, you know, I hang a lot of that on Marafuji. It's just these are the kind of listless performances that you get out of him mm -hmm. in recent years. And look, I get it. The guy's banged up and he's going out there and he's uh, still probably the top draw in the company when it really when you really look at the attendance and i really did a lot of attendance work that we're going to talk about at the end of this segment um marifuji when he's put in a position to main event is still the top draw. well besides mitsuharu masawa who by the way this show drew 1700 fans 10 years after his death he's still the top draw in the company <laughs> and that's a big problem but but you know in terms of the wrestlers that are alive it's still marifuji thing is the guy can't go anymore and he's not interested in going anymore and, um, you know, you get performances like this where, look, I, I think the idea was good. Let's go out there and pound the shit out of each other. And we'll do that in lieu of, you know, doing a bunch of rope running and taking a bunch of bumps. You understand what I'm saying? But it just, it didn't land and there was no escalation. And it just, I don't think it was a bad match. I just think it was a disappointing match that kind of ended on a wet fart. If I had to throw a star rating on it, I'd go three and a quarter, three and a half, somewhere in that range. Any other thoughts on this bout, Mr. Krage? 
sorry, I was on mute. Um, yeah, no, that's that's it. I just kind of was bored by it. And not bored, but just kind of like ready for it to move up, and it just never never got going. Yeah, you were waiting to get into it, and you, and mm-hmm. you're waiting for it to hit another gear, and it never did. Okay, so let's talk about this main event, Kato Kiyomiya. I think this is his, I want to say this was a defense number four or five against Takashi Segura, the man he won the title from. Um, look, I have mixed feelings, very mixed feelings about this match because in a vacuum, okay, and this was defense number four, by the way, in a vacuum, this was a great match. I thought Segura was awesome. I thought Sugi killed it in this match. He was vicious. He was violent. He was nasty. He was everything you want out of him. And this was one of his peak performances to me. And I thought Kiyomiya, as usual, because it's all he does, sold like a motherfucker. And his selling is just top peak. That, that man takes a beating like almost nobody else in wrestling. Okay? So the performances by each man in this match were excellent. I thought the work in this match was excellent. I think Kiyomiya is a guy I've knocked him early in his reign for not showing enough fire. I think he's corrected that. I think he showed plenty of fire here. I think he's got progressively better at that as he's become more comfortable in the role as champ. I didn't think he was comfortable when he first won the title. I didn't think he was comfortable in that title match. I didn't think he was comfortable in his first couple defenses, and I think it showed. I think he's becoming more comfortable in his own skin as the champion of the company. And I think he is showing more fire. It comes off a little contrived at points, but this is the problem when you put a belt on a guy before he's ready and you throw him in the deep end of the pool, he has to grow while he's in the role. And that's been my critique of this title defense all along. And that's why I'm not a huge fan of this title reign. He's been asked to grow while he's in the role instead of being asked to grow into the role. And I don't think that's fair to him. But he's improving in a lot of respects. I thought this was a great match in a vacuum because both guys were great and it told a nice little self-contained pro wrestling story. The problem I have is there's too much of this with Kiyomiya. Mm -hmm. Every single one of his defenses, he gets his ass kicked for 80% of the match, makes his comeback at the end, goes through his Misawa tribute spots, and puts the guy away. In his tag matches, he's always the guy in the Ricky Morton role, getting his ass kicked and making the hot tag when it should be the opposite. He should be the, he's the, cha- he's the fucking GHC champion. He should be the guy on the apron waiting for the hot tag, cleaning house and taking names. And in one of these title defenses, he should get in there and just kick the living shit out of somebody and establish his dominance. He is the champion, and these matches are structured like he's the underdog challenger every time. And it's not helping him in any way. It's not helping him. He's the champ, and if you're, if you're going to push this guy as the champ and move forward with this and have him have a long, dominant reign, then he needs to be dominant. I'm tired of watching this guy get his ass kicked in because I don't want to get behind this guy as a fan. It doesn't make me want to get behind him. Okay, this is the second time he's wrestled Segura, the title change and this match. This is the second time he's had matches with this guy where I could not buy into the idea that he could beat Sugi. I'm watching this thinking, this, this is a, I have a suspension disbelief, uh, a problem suspending my disbelief for this. 
because I feel like Segura would just, just just murder this guy. He's been murdering him the whole match. I can't buy into the idea that this kid can beat him. Why would I be? Why would I buy into that when they've wrestled for a combined sixty-seven minutes in two matches, and Segura has dominated sixty of those minutes? So why would I think that Kiyomiya can hang with him? This story of him getting his ass beat by these guys for ninety percent of the match, and then coming back at the end is tired. It's boring, and it's doing him no favors. And I'm sick of it. And he either needs to go out there and starts beating the shit. And I listen. That's, that may not be who he is. That may not be his. It's more of a Sugera thing to be the guy who goes in there and just kicks ass. Okay? But they need to find a different formula, and they need to find it fast. Because I don't think this guy is going to get over to the next level by simply having these defenses that are all samey where he gets his ass kicked for the entire match. It's not working, and I have some statistical proof that we'll get to, but Rich, what did you think of this? Match? Yeah, you, you kind of echoed a lot of my thoughts in, in, in it, and in that I liked it you know, in a vacuum. I liked the match itself, and there was a lot of stuff I, I, I enjoyed about it, but I just... At the end, I was like, man, I really wish Segura would just win this title, man, because it's like, it's it's the kill me thing that I have is it feels to me very much, and we mentioned this when he first got the title uh, in his first few defenses, he very much feels like that Rey Mysterio title reign in, in WWE where it was like, he gets his ass fucking kicked for 40 minutes or 30 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever, and then he pulls out the win at the end, and it's like, yeah, but I don't really feel like he won that match. Like he just survived that match. And that's the thing that every single match I see is it's like, it feels like a survival for him and he's getting beaten down and beaten down. You hear the crowd sort of, you know, chanting his name, trying to get him to rally and rally and rally and rally. And then he rallies and he wins. And, but it's like, yeah, but it, why did it take 25 minutes for him to rally? Why did it take 35 minutes for him to rally? I, I don't know that I want my champion getting his ass beaten for 40 minutes and then eventually pulling it out in the end. And that's kind of what he's been so far. So I, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of it. And, and you kind of echoed my same thoughts. I, I just want to see him. I want my champions to be dominant. I want my champions to be better than everybody else, not guys that just survive until the next night. I don't like my world champion being a guy who... There were several spots in this match where he finally stands up to the bully, right? And then Segura just, you know, chops him down again. Right. That's not how I want my champion presented. That's how I want my underdog challenger presented. That's how I want my, you know, mid-carders presented. Guys who I'm... But the problem is... It's a weird thing, Rich, because they're building him well, but they're doing it while he's the world champion. It doesn't make any sense. Like He should not be the champion if this is how the matches are going to be structured. He should still be a guy who's working to get to the championship. And I said it when he won it. The proper way to handle him, if he was going to win the title from Segura at the end of the last year, I get it. You want to establish him at that level. He should have lost it back very quickly. Mm -hmm. Because then you can say, okay, we've established that He's capable of winning this title, but he's but he still has work to do. Because you're telling that story anyway. You're telling us he still has work to do because he really isn't hanging with these guys. And it comes off so contrived and silly that he keeps coming back in these matches and winning them at the end after being thoroughly dominated the whole time. And I know you're trying to get him over as like this unbreakable guy and 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 this uh, this kid with just the guts and the heart that never gives up. But it's time. He starts advancing past that, and we start to see him as the most skilled guy and the toughest guy on the roster mm -hmm. who's better than these uh, challengers. Right, not a guy that's surviving, but a guy that's right. beating. Yeah, and he's not well, been beating anybody right now. That's right, and he should just his whoever you know. And I don't know who's next. I don't know if it's Go. I don't know who it is. He needs to start. They need to start presenting him in a way where he's asserting his dominance. The problem is he's 22 or 23 years old or whatever it is, and he was never ready for the role to begin with. 
and and you know he's he's growing into it he's getting better at things but i really think it's a detriment and i i really do think that um rushing the title on him and then not taking it off him quickly and 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 you know forcing and then hitting the reset button and saying okay he's got some growing to do before he before he wins this title because i'm like you every time i watch him wrestle Segura, i'm thinking to myself holy shit this guy should be champion mm-hmm. this guy's <laughs> right, right. he's fucking unstoppable he's a beast he looks the part he wrestles the part he comes off like the baddest motherfucker in the company the champion should be coming off as the baddest motherfucker in the company not the challenger it's like when is Kiyomiya going to come off like the baddest mother? Kento Miyahara has that swagger now where he comes off like the best guy in the company. And you really got your work cut out if you're going to take that title off of his waist. That's how he comes off now. you know. And that is not the energy you get from Kiyomiya at all. The energy you get from Kiyomiya is my suspension of disbelief is is hard to it's hard for me to suspend my disbelief because it's hard for me to take this guy seriously against a beast like Segura. and they got to figure out a way to get people to to to, to take this kid more serious. They, look, they haven't rejected him as champion. That hasn't been the case. People want to like him. People want to get behind him. You know, it, it, they they rally behind him to some extent. He's not moving business. Okay. The best thing you can say about Kiyomiya is that business is holding. You hear all this talk. Oh, you know, Noah is growing and, and, and Noah is, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a promotion that's moving up and, and Noah's got momentum now. And, and Rich, I did a, I looked at the attendance. These are just facts and stats. This isn't Joe Lanz's opinion. This isn't Rich Krejci's opinion. Okay. I want you to listen to this because it's actually pretty amazing. Okay. Since Kiyomiya won the title last December. The Cork and Halls and Noah have averaged 1,209 fans. Okay? The Cork and Halls in 2018, last year, when Segura was champion for most of the year, averaged 1,210 fans. Totally flat. Mm-hmm. The exact same number. Okay? Now you want to be fair and just do uh, fair comps and just do the same period of time. Okay, you want to do just the first six months of last year versus the first six months of this year because if you do the whole year last year, you're counting Global League and all that and maybe that's sure. not a fair comp. So if you just do the first nine shows last year and the first nine Corkin shows this year, it's 1,209 fans on average. This year, 1,205 fans last year. So, yeah, negligible difference. Okay, so he's not running fans off. but they haven't grown at all with Kiyomiya as champion. And it has been six months now, so it's time where you can start looking at these things. And this should be noted, too, that when you look at this year's numbers, um, and look, it's like, you know, they had their Global Tag League final drew sixteen hundred over 1,600 fans this year. The Global Tag League final last year only drew 800 fans. I thought that was a weird anomaly. How would they double that number? in just a year's time. So I did a little research. I asked Jojo uh, Remy, who lives over there. The Global Tag League final this year was run during Golden Week, and this was the biggest Golden Week in years because they just changed over the whatever it is, the you know the Japanese thing right, we right, right. a couple weeks ago. So everybody was way up, 
Okay, now look, I'm not going to, you know, it, it is what it is. They still drew 1,600 fans, but that explains why they doubled that number. Even if you look at the, okay, look, look at this too. Okay, right, let's go outside of Corkin. Okay, the, uh, the, uh, the, the Great Voyage show last year in March, on the 11th of March, which the main event was uh, Segura versus Cano, drew 2,412 fans to Yokohama Bunka. This year's Great Voyage, exactly a year later on March 10th, which was Keito Kiyomiya versus Marafuji. 2,466 fans, a 50 fan difference. Again, this is a company that is incredibly consistent year over year. They haven't grown at all. They haven't dropped off at all. So um, if you want to say that's a win and that's a feather in Kiyomiya's cap, okay, that they haven't uh, lost fans, I guess you could approach it that way, but I don't see a company that's growing at all. I don't see a company that's uh, meeting this reputation that some have for it that, you know, uh, that under this title reign and under the last six months, last year, whatever, that this company is growing and moving forward. The numbers are identical. They're literally identical to when Segura was champion. Now, the Segura title reign last year grew exponentially over 2017. 2017 was the low point. We're talking about 600 people in Corican, 700 people in Corican. And that's Segura reign is what took this company to the level that they're at now. And then he handed the baton to Kiyomiya, who they're obviously str- they're trying to create a Miyahara here. They're trying to create an Okada here. I get it. Okay? But it hasn't moved the needle at all. They're just completely flat across the board. The house shows too. I didn't div- dive in deep, but I took a quick look. They're still doing two, three, four hundred fans in the house shows. Mm-hmm. They're running their tag league opener and Osaka number two in front of 600 fans still. So it's it's like, they're not growing. They grew when Segura was champion. And I get it. He's almost 50. You got to make the next guy. What I'm saying is, I'm not confident that Segura putting this kid over twice has made the next guy. I guess we'll see moving forward coming off this win, but I don't get the impression that they have made the next guy. And I do think that there is that danger that if this title reign doesn't work to get him over to the next level, you could set this kid back several years. Whereas if you just if you followed all Japan's path that they did with Miyahara, a slow build that took a number of years before they finally put him in the spot. And it's just now that he's really finding it, you know, that, that he's he's peaking in that spot after multiple reigns. Okay, that was a patient approach, and it seemed to work much better. At the end of the day, Rich, I don't know what, how you feel. This all feels rushed to me, and I don't think it's a failure. I can't call it a failure. I just think with a few tweaks, it could be working. A mu- it could be working much better. All right. So unfortunately, we have to end a little early this week. So just want to thank you guys, of course, for joining us again on the Voice of Wrestling flagship podcast. We talked about stomping grounds, of course. Uh, we'll have a preview and review up on the website as well. Uh, I mentioned my column about the uh, John Moxley G1 situation that is up at Voices of Wrestling com as well and joe mentioned as well voicewrestling.com slash patreon the perfect time to subscribe is right now you get in for the rest of june and then you get july when our g1 updates will start so definitely a time to do that voicewrestling.com slash patreon uh last but not least voicewrestling.com slash amazon too if you make any purchase on amazon use that link we get a small percentage back and it helps us out greatly anyway for joe lanza i'm rich Grinch. we'll see you next time on the voice wrestling flagship podcast take care <laughs>